greatest superpower is getting sacked but never fumbling, which I don't think is the, the best <laughs> superpower for a quarterback or indeed any NFL he's just, player. He's but been it, watching it, too many Rocky films. It's not about how hard you can hit. Yeah. It's about how hard you can get hit and get keep going. Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This is the week when everyone pulled themselves back into contention. Yes, the wild cards are really opening up. So, hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Waterford, Sean? I uh, hear your doggy is still full of beans. <laughs> it seems to be my, uh, my current life task to try and wear Molly out. Um... We're, uh, today we've done a, about two and a quarter hours of exercise and she's still a bit, still going a bit. So, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't, it's whatever it is. <laughs> I will, it's a battle I will win. Um, apart from that though, quite enough. We've had a, we're getting ready. Some of the Christmas shopping kind of finished up recently and, uh, we were going to go to Cork, but Sarah decided the better idea was just to buy Christmas decorations rather than travel four hours uh, round trip just to pick up a tree um so uh, that's what we interesting did. did you work out what the what the carbon footprint of the two would be <laughs> yeah i should have actually that probably would have been the way to convince her i think it was more the <laughs> the time is what i wanted on but yeah i imagine carbon footprint probably would have won the day as well mm, exciting times how about yourself it says cork ah uh, nothing too exciting i uh, kind of in wind down mode as we approach the uh, holiday season so yeah, just getting into football and uh, catching up on a few things, but uh, nothing too exciting. Very nice. Yeah, I spent the weekend down in uh, Limerick. We went to a Foy Vance gig down there in Dolan's Warehouse. It was very good. And a friend of the pod, Shane, I think he's heading up to Galway to catch his show tonight or tomorrow night as well. So, uh, no, it was very good. Uh, he was out touring on his own this time rather than with the band, which I think is uh, very, very good. So, uh, hardly recommend if he's up around the areas of any of the listeners. Give him a check out. It's... Uh, it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, other than that, catching up on football because the gig was Sunday night, so I missed most of the football, so I've just been playing catch-up for a day or so. But uh, yeah, a lot going on, a lot of injuries this week. It's been a, a tough one, but also a bit of equalisation around the league. The amount of teams that have you know clawed themselves back into contention for division wins or for wildcard positions is uh, very exciting. So I suppose we should kick off and go straight into the news. We'll start with the bad stuff, crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Von Miller has turned himself in after an alleged domestic uh, violence incident involving his pregnant partner in a Dallas home. Um, news broke during the week that a um, uh, warrant had been issued for his arrest and Von Miller has turned himself in. Uh, obviously very kind of bad stuff if this is uh, if this is kind of what's being alleged at the moment uh, he has up to this point been relatively squeaky clean i believe so um kind of a surprise versus what we've heard about him character wise in the league up to this point but uh yeah like hopefully this all gets sorted and it, 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 it's kind of a miscommunication of some kind but it doesn't sound particularly optimal now von miller's not really been a particularly productive piece for the Bills this season since coming off his injury that he sustained early last season, uh, so it's not a huge impact on their on their um, uh, defensive front. We'll say, albeit that they are thin at the position and they were on bye this week, but uh, probably someone who they were hoping would help them down the stretch. And this would, if uh, proves to be correct, definitely take him out of that. Yeah, so he hasn't been charged with anything yet. This was him being brought in for 
questioning after police responded to a call and while they had uh, you know some reports basically saying that that she seemed to be at least ruffled had abrasions and stuff like that 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 they hadn't done anything at that point so we're not sure whether this will um uh, lead to anything uh, significant yet but and there's now been uh, in the last day or so uh the the uh, partner has come out and said it's been exaggerated a bit but of course we know in the context of dv that could be intimidation or something like that but yeah we'll probably know more about this as uh, it works its way through the legal system but for now the team is letting him play on um until something more formal is brought forward but uh yeah we'll see where things stand uh, as this develops okay fair enough uh in terms of transactions we've had a signing philadelphia have picked up linebacker shaq leonard who we mentioned last week had uh, kind of left his previous team following a couple of surgeries hasn't really been the same player um the general consensus is he watched the match between san francisco and philadelphia and thought well philadelphia like i'll definitely get <laughs> fucking playing time at linebacker there uh so he's gonna go in and hopefully help bolster their linebacker core who got absolutely torn apart against the 49ers uh he's not a fantastic level player at this stage in his career as we mentioned last week he kind of went through that the injuries and surgeries have impacted that but he should provide a rotational piece for them and this is definitely a team that's crying out for linebacker help yeah, it's, I mean, he's obviously, he's, he peaked maybe 2018, 2021 when he was getting all those old pros and then since then injuries have kind of hit him, but he's he's not going to be the, you know, the, the solution to all the Eagles problems because a lot of it is just, is just execution. They have the talent. The players just aren't playing up to their level, but I mean, and he, he as an addition, as a piece within, within that, a kind of rotational piece, certainly he'll give them more options um, and I mean, given he'll be playing for a ring, it's, it's the kind of thing you saw with people like Von, Von Miller previously uh, when he went to the Rams. It's that they tend to, veterans when they get to this stage and they want to ring, win a ring, they tend to kind of up their game a little bit in terms of the explosiveness. And also the, the, the lack of being the guy is if you're just one of many guys and you kind of take pick your moments to attack. So I think something like that would help him when he's you know not quite who he used to be still occasionally has his moments to kind of have the pressure taken off him of him in terms of being expected to make to be the guy who makes plays all the time i think that'll help him um and also apparently the money situation is is in his interest the Colts are still paying his salary uh, mm. for some reason so it was really just a pick of which team he wanted to to go to uh just for kind of playing opportunities uh, i heard the cowboys were also yeah. uh, in the mix as well so i mean yeah it's the eagles have a chance uh, certainly their defense could play better, but I don't know if he is an upgrade more than he is an, an extra option that they can work through. Yeah, yeah, no, that could yeah, be like... pretty much where he falls into it. And I think you're right, Jay, he visited with the Cowboys uh, two or three days before he visited with Philly. So he, he went in on site with both of them and spoke with coaches and management. Yeah, and, you know, this is also a reflection, you know, like they, they've struggled at linebacker because of injuries. Nicobe Dean is out, though. They're hoping to get him back. Zach Cunningham's been injured recently, so... Uh, some very necessary depth immediately, um, but also someone who could hopefully make an impact down the stretch as well. But uh, yeah, the middle of that defense has been pretty vulnerable and you definitely saw this week that that can be exposed by the better teams in the league. Yeah, Arizona cut tight end Zach Ertz. Uh, he's obviously not quite the level of player he was beforehand. I'm sensing a theme in players that are coming available this late in the game. Um, but ha- still has reliable hands, if not quite the explosiveness he once did, and seems to have gotten over the back surgeries that he'd had. Uh, Philadelphia are reportedly interested. There's also been rumours of interest from Buffalo and Kansas City as well. I think it's just going to come down to uh, price and scheme fit and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll track on where he lands. I'd imagine he'll be a good kind of 
depth additional person is kind of like a essentially pass catcher four or pass catcher five on a team uh which is you know obviously philly are interested but they've got a lot of outside guys so they'd be a bit more over the middle chiefs are obviously just looking for receivers full stop and buffalo with the loss of their uh, tight end early in the season would like to have an experienced player to play alongside kincaid the the young player so we'll see and we'll report on that as we find out more uh we yeah. got and the context is like obviously trey mcbride has kind of emerged as a breakout player for arizona so kind of seen a surplus requirement in a in a lost season for arizona and uh yeah like Ertz, yeah he, he's a veteran obviously he'll kind of fill it there philly's kind of natural place given he won a super bowl there but uh yeah and like got her coming back it's probably not as big as a need it would have been a couple of weeks ago i think the only other thing knows like arizona as ever were cheap as hell i think they asked for one paycheck back until they agreed to release him effectively uh the one that he would effectively have missed this week um, so <laughs> classic uh, just on, during the off season, I think Arizona was voted like the worst organization to play for because they were such cheap skates and just proving it again here with that kind of nickel and diming on the way out. Yeah, yeah, not uh, not a great look for an organization that can definitely afford a game check. Um, we'll move on to injuries, and boy, were there a lot of them this week. I suppose the big one off the top is rookie wide receiver for the Houston Texans, Tank Dell, has broken his fibula and he's now going to be gone for the season. Uh, he's had an explosive rookie season, working really, really well with CJ Stroud there. They do have other weapons uh on the team and you'd hope that brown could be back from injury and stuff will help to fill in some of these uh missed snaps but dell was a big part of that and it's uh, an unfortunate end to a season where a rookie was having a real big break out of one and you know is so, so, somewhat tanking me in two or three fantasy leagues as he was a <laughs> cornerstone piece for i'm sure a lot of people out there um we got a lot of other injuries around the league and then we'll kind of talk about them as a whole. So Jacksonville, uh, their quarterback Trevor Lawrence has hurt his ankle and he's week to week. This follows uh, him getting stepped on by his left tackle who uh, is now also, well, it's a backup left tackle, I suppose, who is now also questionable at this stage. And wide receiver Christian Kirk has hurt his groin. He's uncertain until his uh, return time. Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett has hurt his ankle. He's out for two to four weeks. So we got Mitch Trubisky coming in. Uh, Isaac says... Say Malo, their offensive lineman, has hurt his shoulder. He's week to week. Linebacker Roberts has hurt his groin. He's week to week. They're all going to probably miss Thursday night football. New Orleans quarterback Derek Carr has a concussion and a shoulder injury. He's week to week. Thankfully, they said it's not a refresh of the AC joint shoulder injury he had beforehand, or not a, a further injury to it. So hopefully, that won't be too much for I don't them. Know if the Saints fans would agree, thankfully. No, the Saints fans. We will talk about that. I'm sure booed the living fuck out of him um miami linebacker jerome baker's hurt his knees out for one four weeks tron armstead their tackle has hurt his ankle in his day-to-day and robert hunter lyman is hurt his hamstring in his day-to-day uh seattle running back jack charbonnet or as i like to call him carbonet has hurt his knee and he's week to week and jordan brooks their linebacker is week to week with an ankle injury new england's running back Ramondre stevenson has hurt his ankle and they're expecting two to four weeks for him to return green bay christian watson their wide receiver has a hamstring injury in his week to week and a Amari Cooper, Cleveland wide receiver, has a concussion and is week to week. This is a lot to go through. Let's start at the top. Houston, obviously worse off without Dell. He was a huge part of it. They still have a lot of weapons in that offense, but he was kind of a big key for them. Uh, it's obviously going to hurt them, but do they have enough depth to be able to survive this? It seems that Nico Collins might be stepping into that breach. Um, he was kind of the, the other... The, the kind of the guy who had the breakout alongside Dell. Obviously, he's. It really depends on the scheme and and how they adapt. It'll be a test for the coaches how they, how they change system because Dell has become such a huge part of how CJ Stroud sees the field and the options. It's he's always kind of the first option when you lose that first option. It kind of puts some pressure on the quarterback. So as you said, they do have the talent. 
but it's a big loss. And for a team that's inexperienced and, you know, hunting not only a playoff spot, but possibly a divisional title now, it's a, it's a tough one. It's definitely one that's going to hurt them. But we have to see if, if CJ Stroud and the coaching staff can find a solution to it for sure. Uh, I think, like, we didn't expect that this wide receiver set would work coming into the season, but CJ Stroud has somehow made it work. So, yeah, I think, you know, the random person who pops up, whether that be Mechie um, or, like, a backup tight end like Brevin Jordan, we'll see. Um, as for the quarterback position, obviously Trevor Lawrence got the ankle sprain. Mm. We haven't got full details on that at the moment, so obviously there's a big difference between a low ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain, but we've seen quarterbacks play through that type of injury if they are, you know, hard enough to do it basically we've seen russell wilson about five years ago we've seen patrick mahomes play through multiple uh, i think playoff runs <laughs> with ankle injuries um so it's a good test of where lawrence uh feels he is and also i think where the team you know i suppose where it kind of sees its agenda uh with the loss this week they're very much in the hunt for their own division um they could follow the wild card if they went on the bad losing streak so I would predict that he might still play, but obviously he'll be much more restricted in terms of what he can do on the ground. Yeah, like uh, CJ Beathard is the backup there and yeah. didn't exactly wow in the fourth quarter when he came in under uh, in kind of fill-in duty. So you'd hope yeah, that I Lawrence don't think CJ Beathard's ever wowed, to be fair. Like, I think the only no. reason people remember him is because he has a name that could be mispronounced funnily. Yeah, Beathard um, is but... a far better name. <laughs> but uh, and like with Christian Kirk's obviously been a great weapon for them, so you'll have to expect more from Evan Engram and Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, etc. Uh, Kenny Pickett, uh, one could argue how much of a downgrade this is. Uh, I think he is probably a bit better than Mitchell Trubisky, but isn't that big. But obviously, this is the future of the franchise. He's going to be missing the home stretch. I think they're, they're saying kind of some reports saying they're kind of just hoping to keep him off IR so they can have him for the last couple of weeks of the season. And now they're missing like an offensive lineman. So, you know, for an offense that it wasn't exactly firing in all cylinders, even with the kind of somewhat recent turnaround in terms of production, if not points, um, definitely some big concerns there. And Landon Roberts, the, the linebacker depth and inside linebacker has been pretty terrible. Uh, so that's obviously another hit there. Um, albeit they, they get a pretty cupcake uh, at TNF, albeit one that will probably burn your eyes out um and finally Derek Carey as you said thankfully it's not the same injury but it is another injury uh he's had concussion before he's had a shoulder injury before he's getting hit a lot in the in the pocket not Sam Howell levels but but certainly more than you would want from someone like him um and obviously you know Jameis Winston has made some interesting cameos so far but he doesn't look like a starting quarterback uh even compared to where he was when just, he was, just uh, run out like, Taysom Hill for a game like just just do it fuck it yeah like, like I certainly... I don't think he's a good enough quarterback. like I think if he was actually good enough playing quarterback they would have done it by now like yeah, maybe that's you should reverse on... the ratio a little bit you know like 50 50 or something like that like full-on platoon uh kind of thing but yeah like look I think that they do they are a less consistent offense without Derek Carr in there but I don't know if that makes them a worse offense to be frank but yeah uh, we'll see where they are in terms yeah. of these other ones, just Jerome Baker, obviously it looked really bad at the time. His own player, uh, whole teammate hit into him and looked like he could be seriously out. So thankfully that's not come true through fruition. Theron Armstead, Mike McDaniel said he could have come back in if they needed to, but they decided to be extra cautious in a blowout. Uh, similar with Robert Hunt, but obviously Armstead, a uh, bit of a sick note of recent years and obviously a key piece for that offense. Uh, huge drop off when he's not in there. Seattle, they're already down Ken Walker. We're, we don't know if he's going to be back or not. So missing Zach Sharpening as well uh, would leave them the... very thin. The tea leaves I'm reading online sound like Charbonnet has more of a chance of starting uh, this week than yeah. Walker. So obviously it was a long week thanks to playing on TNF, so so hopefully he'll be back. But uh, yeah, not great to have 
one or two sick uh, running backs. And Jordan Brooks, obviously, a, a key piece for that defense. So we'll see how they go. Ramondre Stevenson going to make this oh. an even more unwatchable Thursday night football yeah. with him not being there. I don't know if it's worth talking about since the New England are basically so dead, but without him, it's like so grim. It's Zeke O'Clock. This is this this is why this is why you inexplicably gave Zeke six million dollars. Yeah, and Zeke I think is carrying. He was carrying his own injury coming into this week, so he's not even playing at full health. And yeah. Christian Watson, we're not sure the severity yet, but obviously they've they've survived like Christian Watson for parts of the season, but he was starting to kind of come back to where you saw him late last year. Yeah, expect more Cooper. out of Romeo Dobbs. Yeah, and Amari, well, yeah, for fantasy, I suppose. Uh, and for Amari Cooper, concussion probably will miss this week, so uh, definitely a negative for the Cleveland offense. Yeah, uh, the only other bit of news is wide receiver Deshaun Jackson has retired. Uh, we've kind of seen most of his great, a lot of the listeners know a lot of it, but uh, explosive playmaker, he had 15 seasons in the league, uh, over 11,000 yards, 58 touchdowns, uh, kind of very famous for just being a big streaky fast deep shot type of player at 26 60 plus yard touchdowns uh, and had a very very famous punt return against the new york giants but yeah very explosive player uh i'd imagine might push up towards hall consideration just because of how um exciting and, and and how shared a lot of the clips of him would have been over the time he did kind of you know play maybe a little bit too long and <laughs> put some put some less good seasons on tape towards the back end but uh yeah no very very exciting player throughout his career yeah i don't think he'll make the hall he's just like around that level just below where you need to be well i, th- um, I think i think i think he'll probably get proposed for it and not get in is my guess yeah and i think the know, issue is not... that the wide receiver list is quite long at the moment as well so there'll be a lot of people ahead of him and he, he was a bit of a knucklehead as well uh, he had made some anti-semitic remarks a couple of years ago so he probably hasn't helped himself in terms of his reputation there but yeah like he was a guy who was really good at one thing and it was a really fun thing um and then obviously most famously he, he was as a punt returner he he kind of that they kind of came back from the Giants and everyone remembers loving that. But uh, yeah, like, look, he, he was a really good player at what he did, but yeah, not the most dynamic player in terms of what he did outside of that, especially towards the end of his career where he always seemed to find a home because his speed never went away. But, you know, it, it was a very limited uh, skill set outside that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so good career. Congrats on the retirement. And presumably he'll be starting a podcast because every player seems to now. Um, but yeah, on that lovely note, we'll move over and look at the games from last week. So first up, Thursday Night Football, Seattle at Dallas. And boy, we got an exciting one, 35-41. Dallas win a wild puntless very flag heavy game this game had over 250 yards of penalties in it as uh dak goes for 299 yards and three touchdowns and beats up the seattle defense cd lamb being the main beneficiary he went over 100 yards and had a touchdown uh they did get pressure on him they got four sacks and all that kind of stuff but uh it just wasn't quite enough gino had a fairly good game as well 334 yards three touchdowns and an interception with uh dk metcalf uh having a couple of really big ones there was one big i think it was about 60 70 yard touchdown uh um, but he had 134 yards and three touchdowns in this game. Uh, so he looked properly like the old school year after he got drafted. Kind of DK was uh, very exciting. But then it just kind of started to, to fall away from them. They had an interception. They had three downs that were just kind of caused by drops and stuff. Like I remember thinking at the time, and I think texting on the Friday morning fits about this, just going like, this is a game that Seattle should have won for definite. Like, 
Dallas played well, no doubt, but like their defense didn't show up in the way that it's meant to show up for a championship level team. Their offense did. They put up the 41 points, but that was having, you know, getting getting the interception and getting bits and pieces like that. But Seattle, it just felt like they were the better team in this game and that they should have been able to, to, to knuckle it out at the end. And it just kind of... It just fell off towards the tail end. They didn't have the same level of energy. And I'm not sure if it's just, you know, atrophy over the length of a tough game or what. Um, but yeah, just it, it's a pity because I think Seattle, yeah, they, they, they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth following this one, whereas Dallas are going to be wiping their brow and happy that they got out of jail there. Yeah, and Seattle, obviously Pete Carroll has, has a famous saying saying you don't win games in the first quarter you win them in the fourth quarter and uh, the problem is recently Seattle has been losing games in the fourth quarter and this game here and also the game against the Rams a few weeks ago these two losses when we get to the end of the season when Seattle will probably be on the outside looking in as their schedule is a lot harder than their uh, comparators uh, Green Bay uh, Minnesota and the Rams and the Rams obviously head-to-head as well it's going to be tough and there's going to be some tough questions asked here I think the the, the, the one question everyone wants to ask is like Gino Smith like it's his fault basically right and it's like no like Gino Smith is really good at good and Gino Smith is really good at what Gino Smith does now is it you know Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen like top level quarterbacking no but you're not paying for that either you're paying for what's basically a mid uh, QB contract these days and with fairly team favorable outcomes if you need to get out of it and in this first part of this game you finally saw Gino uh, what felt like for the first time for, for this season nearly had a clean pocket and then suddenly the explosives start coming back suddenly he's picking on this vulnerable uh dallas defense uh, and these defensive backs and deron bland who's obviously having an incredible season breaking the pick six record already was getting beat like a drum i think he allowed uh, about 150 yards in the basically first half now he got his revenge with a interception in the second half but yeah seattle seemed to have something here against their old uh DC Dan Quinn and they were absolutely destroying them and you saw DK Metcalf having those big explosive plays that have been so missing and you're even seeing contributions from Jackson Smith and Jigba you're seeing contributions from uh, Tyler Lockett to a lesser extent and it all looked like oh they finally figured it out and they go ahead and like the problem was is that you know despite the fact that they obviously didn't punt they were scoring points every drive um their defense which is supposed to be the Pete Carroll specialty was doing nothing basically and we'll talk about I'll talk about like Dallas have a good offense I'll talk about in a moment but you know this defense is supposed to be the apple of his eye you know you've drafted a first round corner uh you have a near rookie of the year at the corner position but you're getting tore up in the backfield for the entirety of the game Jamal Adams apparently still exists but is doing nothing you just traded for Leonard Williams but you're getting uh, you know not as much pressure as you would hope to get uh, from Dak Prescott and now like Dak Prescott wasn't operating in an easy situation but he was you know getting the job done and elite defenses would have uh, you know had that like second you know inch or, or edge that would have got this game done you would imagine like it's not like you know the level of letting them score in every drive is that hard to beat effectively um, and so I think you know what you saw towards the end was then the slow re-emergence of some of the classic Seattle issues where they're getting into third downs that are unfavorable and they just haven't look like they're able to get out of those in recent uh, in the last year or so and that, i think gino's doing a really good job of getting the ball out quick understanding the play avoiding making bad plays but they're not getting getting the consistent like grind their way down the field which is required in the new nfl where defenses have made a big step up in this year and that just towards the end of the game you have like three drives that end in downs 
um and it's just not good enough basically you have all of these opportunities to win the game and you just let dallas uh, sneak back into the game and of course you know every uh, everyone's going to focus on the final play for seattle where they left micah parsons unblocked in some kind of like uh, screenplay for the running back but you know that that's much more like what a lot of seattle has been like this season than what we saw in the first half but you know i think for seattle a team that's obviously gone through a number of tough weeks recently uh, starting with that rams loss and getting absolutely hammered by san francisco as well um i think at least a result like this gives you some hope that maybe they can pull out something against san francisco or philly because they're going to need to get a win against one of those two teams in the next two weeks to stay relevant and right now it's looking that's going to be really really tough and they're so flawed in defense i, I still wouldn't believe it's going to happen as for dallas like look it's the same uh, stuff that they've ever done on the offense like the offense has been on a heater for you know i think six or seven weeks at this point they absolutely obliterated a pretty poor seattle defense i think seattle's defense put up more of a fight than some of their recent opponents like say washington and you did get four sacks against the dak but dak was just he's get he's just on his game right now i think people he's, he's a father this year maybe he's got that new dad strength or whatever going on but he was throwing balls into incredibly tight windows uh again and again and again he was getting a little extra time required to make big plays and cd lambs obviously been a revelation but they were are getting production uh, from their other weapons and this game was uh, primarily jake ferguson but also brandon cooks uh who's got another touchdown in this game so you know dallas like you know like you know if you compare what's happening in dallas to what's happening with the chargers maybe we were all wrong about you know mike mccarthy maybe he was being held back by kellen moore all along because while i wouldn't say the offense has been perfect right this season it's built to something here which feels like it works like it works for whatever's happening in the defensive world of the nfl things have turned right around back to his favor and in dak prescott you have someone who feels like they've taken that next step up back to where they were a few years ago all those interceptions and stuff and the injuries all forgotten and you see why he got all that money a couple of years ago so for Dallas it's not the way they would like to win I'm sure they'd love their defense to show up and have done the usual thing and blast the other opponent but if they can win a shootout like this then that gives you a sense that when they get to the real football and they're almost certainly in the playoffs uh, if not at the potentially in the number one seed at this point um, that they're going to be a real force and someone that other people should really watch out for yeah not an awful lot to add to what Ronan said I think the, the big narrative coming out is 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 the impressiveness of the Cowboys on the offensive side obviously the defense was the big story in the early season it's amazing how much that has flipped that the offense is now the strength with Dak easing into his role and yes I think maybe we do need to give credit to, to McCarthy and, and maybe talk a little bit about Kellen Moore being a fraud etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, the worry I would have I guess is that I mean Seattle are a good team and they played a lot better than, than I thought but they're not the elite of the NFC and we've seen how this team has come up short against the, the elite of the elite in the NFC in terms of the Eagles and the 49ers. So I think next week against the Eagles is a really big, not just a really big game in terms of the division and in terms of number one seed, but just a sense of where the Cowboys are at. Uh, if they really are a, a contending team that we need to think about in terms of a Super Bowl. Uh, on the defensive side, it, 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 it looks a bit messy still. I, I don't know where this... The amazing off defense of the first few weeks is gone. They, they, they look quite vulnerable in places. Duran Bland's really got that Trayvon Diggs energy going on, which is very boom-bust defending. The problem with boom-bust defending, as Trayvon Diggs discovered, is that it's big plays, but the big plays go both ways. Either you get an interception or the guy runs in behind you for a 60-yard uh, touchdown. So I, I feel the jury's still out a tiny bit on the Cowboys. Um, although their offense looks a lot better than it did in the early weeks. Uh, in terms of Seahawks, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the defense just let them down. I mean, a, a, an offense which 
doesn't have to punt at any point during the game and puts up 35 points and still loses is, you know, the, the finger's got to point in only one direction. Uh, and it's amazing to see how much of a weakness someone like Jamal Adams, for example, has, has gotten. Um, on the offensive side, I mean, Smith and Jigba looks like a real prospect. I'd have some issues with how the plays were called in fourth down, particularly that third one where they completely forgot the fact that Mike Parsons is a, is a scary defensive uh, unit. But uh, I think with this loss and how tough the Seahawks run in looks, I think we can maybe count them out of a wild card this year. Um, but they have looked better than I thought they would be, and they certainly have seen like it's coming together, and Gino seems to have found his place, and maybe next year, two years down the line, this could be a very interesting team, but not for this year. And for this year, I think in terms of Dallas, it is, they're definitely playoff, they're definitely a, a, a contender to, to get into the deeper ends of the NFC, but I, we have to see them beat a, a good team, or like a really good team, uh, an elite team, before we can start talking about them being Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, there's a huge game coming up for them now this week, as we'll talk about in our previews, where they could uh, start to push maybe for the division as well. Next up, Cincinnati at Jacksonville, 34-31 to 31 overtime. I don't think any of us were expecting this game to be this good, but uh, come on down, Jake Browning. My God, 376 yards and two touchdowns. He has a very efficient, play-action-heavy game plan that just kind of works it helps when you've got you know the likes of chase on the outside he went for 149 and a touchdown and mixon getting back into kind of looking like the joe mixon from a year or two ago uh, 117 yards and two touchdowns uh the jacksonville defense just wasn't quite right in this game they didn't execute the way we've seen them execute in kind of more recent weeks um yeah and they kind of missed an interception on a trick play and stuff it was just it was very impressive in Cincinnati to see them be able to get this chap Browning into the scheme. And like the difference between this and last week is, is remarkable. Um, I was amazed as well looking into just like how long Browning's actually been around the league. Because uh, he's, he's what, he's like 28 or something. Uh, he's just been kind of knocking around. He was on he was on practice squads and stuff for a while. But um, no, it was, it, was, it was very impressive. Lawrence on the other side had a decent game, 264 yards and two touchdowns. He was quite effective in it but as we mentioned at the top of the show he had an ankle injury that then knocked him out in the fourth quarter in overtime and uh it just kind of it, it makes you wonder a little bit if he was in there could they have taken this game in the end Cincinnati's pressure was getting there though four sacks six tackles for a loss it was quite an impressive all-round game from Cincinnati and this win has pulled them right back into contention for wildcard spots like we thought that they were dead in the water and it's if they can get this type of performance out of Browning, because the Jacksonville Jaguars, yes, it wasn't the best day on defense, but they are a decent um, NFL defense. Like, they're not in the bottom half of the league, I wouldn't think. Uh, so this is quite a promising one, particularly on the road for them. For Jacksonville, you're going to be a bit heartbroken that you came up short in this one. You would wonder if, like I said, if Lawrence was still in the game, would they have been able to to make it all the way back and, and maybe win this thing in overtime instead? But... I suppose, look, you take your licks, you'll, you'll, you'll accept it, particularly if they do get Lawrence to stay playing next week, or even if it's just a one-week absence, at least they're still in it. But this drops them right back into the hunt. I think they're only one game up now in their division. They don't have all of the tiebreakers locked up yet. So it's uh, right back into the, into the mines for Jacksonville to try and make sure that they get themselves uh, into the playoffs. For Cincinnati, it's a breath of fresh air. It's excitement. It's uh, probably a big tick mark for Cincinnati coaching as well which you know we often kind of question a little bit uh we said they they do good but you know 
is it something that's replicable? And this definitely looks like good coaching from Cincinnati to get Browning into this and to game plan this this well. So very, very big thumbs up from me on that. Yeah, I, I think that that's the takeaway from this is how well Browning has adjusted to the system just shows how good the system is. That they've got, they've obviously worked on this plan that they know the types of quarterbacks they want to slot in that system. They've had, I think Browning's been around Cincinnati for two or three years, so he knows this, he knows how to play, he knows the plays. And all credit to Zach Taylor and, and his coaching staff that they could bring someone. Obviously, Browning does not have Joe Burrow's talent, and that's very clear. He doesn't. He doesn't have that the, the explosiveness, but he does know what he's doing, which is a huge difference from a lot of other backup quarterbacks that we've seen the whole way through. So I think we got to give coaching credit for, for what they produced. The, the, the Bengals, I mean, they're back in the hunt. They've, they're six and six. They have three winnable games in a row now, I would say. Colts, Vikings, Steelers, these are all games that they, they could take. They're all two of those arrivals for playoff spots. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, tiebreakers and stuff, it's it's a good place to be. Um, they'll prob the problem with the AFCs. They'll probably need to win four of their last five games, which could be a bit of an ask with this with this situation. Um, I think you know, all credit to Browning in in terms of his his composure. It was great to see that that the the Jags kind of went with a heavy pressure set, lots of blitzing on Browning just to kind of disrupt him, but he rolled through it and, and kind of made the passes that he needed to make, and they were able to make hay with the run game uh, to, kind of, to kind of get things going. So offensively, everything looked really good, and, and the, the Bengals certainly don't look like they miss Burrow as much as we thought they would. Now, how that affects them further down later in the season when they need someone like Burrow's kind of clutchness in kind of tight situations in fourth quarters and such like that is another question. Um, entirely. I am also a little bit worried about the Bengals' defense. The, the defense was kind of what pulled them out of their slump at the early start of the season, but they've really kind of taken a step backwards. I think they're 31st ranked now in the NFL. The secondary, which is one of the more exciting parts of this defense when they were on their Super Bowl run two years ago, looks like all over the place. Uh, they really miss Jesse Bates. And, and like people talked about Bates being like the, the quarterback of the defense. And you can see that they're just, they're missing that coordination. And I do think it is Jesse Bates that's being missed on that side. Mm -hmm. So that is a weakness now that, that I think is going to, is going to, is going to hurt them. As well, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. I so I, th I think down mm -hmm. the line that could be a bit of a problem for them as well. So they're alive and it's fun and it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think they'll be there thereabouts come week 18. But I don't know if this is going to be uh, what they have right now. I don't think is, is is enough to get them very far if they get into the playoffs. In terms of the Jags, oh, uh, I don't know. This is, I, I mean, you can say to a certain extent, you know, Lawrence gets injured, they win the game otherwise. And if they win the game, they have a good chance of being number one seed. So maybe we're overstating how much of, of a, situ a bad situation this is. But they lose at home against a team that most people thought would be a, a gimme for them. They Their backup quarterback does not. I mean, he looked fine, but he's not He's not Trevor Lawrence. And he's certainly not someone you'd want to hang a championship um, upon. Um, the, they, you know, they've lost 
they look like they're going to lo- maybe lose Christian Kirk for a little while as well. So that kind of takes away some of their options because their offense is very much about having multiple options that kind of opens up the field for, for certain situations. And the defense is, I think, maybe a little bit of weakness. I don't think they have the level of a defense of, say, a Chiefs um, or an Eagles or, or something like that. They're the really good teams in the NFL. I don't think they're quite at that level yet. And I think on the coaching side, they overplayed the blitz a little bit because they're they're not a natural blitzing team outside of um, Josh, Josh Allen. Allen. So they kind of they kind of pushed it a little bit too heavy in that situation. I thought so. Coming out of it, I mean, it's like Bengals coaching tick uh, offense. We we'll give it a tick defense. Oh, I don't quite know yet where it's going. With the Jags, these are all question marks now. Uh, and, and they're eight and four, so we maybe don't need to overstate it. And I still think they're probably favorites to win their division. But there are a lot more questions about this team than maybe there ought to be, given where they are with their record and their situation. And some work still to do in terms of the Jags in, in coaching, in terms of going down the stretch. Yeah, and in my opinion, like it was kind of an interesting game plan from Cincinnati because they, it, this wasn't the Joe Burrow offense. This was closer to almost like, you know, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley era Rams offense or, you know, Shanahan type play action offense where, you know, they were willing and able to run the ball early on. They were willing to dedicate to that even when it wasn't, you know, producing at a high level, but it was producing enough to keep them going. And only as the game went on, and especially I think uh, at just when they came in the second half, did you start seeing the play action, the rollouts, the kind of getting out of the edge stuff, which, you know, Joe Burrow could just do in any situation, but with Browning, you had to kind of set it up for him. And it's kind of a, a style of play, which is falling a little bit out of style. I think you've seen more of that kind of spread and shred uh, type stuff come in. You've also just seen, you know, teams get better at stopping uh, that type of play when it was so successful a few years ago. Um, but obviously, I think to a certain extent, the, the Jags, you know, probably underestimated Browning. Like, obviously, he's a backup. He's obviously not coming in with a huge resume. He didn't do great against uh, the Steelers last week. So I'm sure they just thought we'd come out with a vanilla plan. We get it done. And, you know, fair play to Zach Taylor. He put out a game plan that's designed to make the other team creep up and expose what is a secondary that's, you know, not that great. Like, they are playing a bunch of defensive backs that I wouldn't consider to be at the, the top of the league by any stretch. And you see, if you know if you can distribute the ball to Jamar Chase, um, he could make big plays for you, like that 70-plus uh, touchdown that he got um, in this game. And, you know, obviously, if Lawrence had stayed in, maybe this game would have gone a bit different. But the Chargers, sorry, the, the Bengals were you know had the better of it for the back end of this game they looked like the team that was more likely to win even before lawrence went out and uh, so it showed to be in in overtime when they managed to race down the field and get a field goal uh that won the game so for me like i'm not sure if this is sustainable because i think it is a game plan that has been figured out to some extent and other teams will obviously be studying this closely and be trying to shut this down particularly the run game and force browning to kind of beat them one mano a mano for lack of a better term but i think he showed enough there here and even in his other cameos that he's not a bad quarterback but i don't know if he'll have the same foundation as for jacksonville i think yeah the defense really has to take the l here obviously no, no matter how good jake browning is um unless you know he's been hiding you know joe burrow under the tree all this time you know, you can't be losing this type of game and the defense really lost this game. Like Lawrence wasn't perfect by any stretch and he was under a little bit of pressure and obviously that uh, injury towards the end took him out. But, you know, the offense scored, you know, 31 points. Like that's a fair amount of points and you would expect more often than not against a backup quarterback that that should get the job done. So, you know, the Jacksonville defense has just been a bit 
disappointing overall. There's been times where they look like, okay, they're going to take that leap. They're going to become an elite unit. I think even you saw some of that to a certain extent against Houston last week against a good quarterback in CJ Stroud. But they always just seem to have these furrows, these kind of moments where they kind of step away and turn into a mediocre unit. So, and I, that just feels like Jacksonville are overall. Like they, if they'd won this game, they would have been pole position for the number one seed. Now, you know, that they're in a much tougher position and uh, they do get to play the Ravens at the stretch, so they have a chance to get back in. But, you know, for a team where the expectations after last week's game of Houston had kind of peaked up and maybe, okay, oh, maybe this is a stepping stone to getting to, you know, the real Jags, the kind of top of the AFC type Jags, you just have another step back here that they just can't, they don't have that element. And now with Lawrence either out or potentially playing on a bum ankle, um, they're going to have to get much better on all other aspects of the play. They're going to need to get ru- that run game getting going again uh, with Etienne or whoever. They're going to need this defense to start setting up because if they start putting up more performances like this, they will probably, yes, trickle into the playoffs, but it may not be as division winner and it maybe is a pretty deep wild card. Yeah, and the uh, Doug Pedersen has just come out there uh, last 15, 20 minutes and said that it's a high ankle sprain. Uh, so we have to see kind of how bad that is i believe was it last year he had something similar happen where he had a high ankle sprain and he came out absolutely firing and won five straight and played through it so their hope is that he can do something similar again but uh we'll have to see Quarterback, quarterbacks can definitely play through an ankle sprain it's just about how risky you want to get yeah and given where they are they're going to play pretty risky i'd say yeah i'd say so next up kansas city at green bay sunday night football 19 to 27 um mahomes had 236 yards a touchdown and a pretty stinky looking interception in this one uh they had a hail mary at the end to try and win it uh but not able to get it done after what was kind of a bit of a messy ref heavy section with a roughing call two questionable no calls on pis and i think an incorrect call in the chief saver as well so it seemed to be kind of makeup calls at the time when you don't want the focus being on rest doing makeup calls at different points um but yeah the chiefs kind of were quite inefficient early on in the game in the red zone. They kicked two field goals. And uh, obviously, like I mentioned, the, the interception was not very good. What they did get going was uh, Pacheco and the ground game. So Pacheco had 123 yards and a touchdown. Uh, unfortunately, he was also ejected at the tail end of the game for fighting. Uh, but, you know, you got to love having that dog in him. Speaking of love, 277 yards and three touchdowns. He was very efficient in this game and definitely seems to have grown into this offense following the bye week. Uh, they picked up a fourth and one, very important in the game to kind of keep long touchdown drives going they were found a lot of success against a chiefs defense that has normally been a lot stingier particularly on the ground they were getting quite a bit of work done um so it wasn't a great look for kansas city's defense in this one uh, overall it just felt a little bit sloppy like we said red zone inefficiencies again not getting a huge amount out of the wide receivers uh there was some some bits and pieces like we said there was a, not just on that last drive but there was a few bits particularly with uh, marquez valdez scantling with a bit of fighting down the field and to be honest i think there were about 50 50 split between him literally just slipping and falling and him ending up in hand fights with people so it was a just just a little bit sloppy that said look they were in it at the tail end on the road in freezing cold conditions in green bay so i'm not hitting any kind of alarm bells here uh it's okay but it definitely has the feel of a game that in previous years the chiefs would have just won this like they wouldn't have had the problems they wouldn't have needed the the ref calls or they wouldn't have been annoyed about the non pi flags because they would have just found a way to get it done and it's just that little extra gear that seems to be missing at the moment and i'm not sure it's going to 
be found necessarily uh, this season. It's probably going to have to be winning closer games and leaning on the defence, who unfortunately just weren't quite up to scratch in this one. They did lose their safety... um, Cook, I think was it, uh, to a fairly gruesome-looking ankle injury. Um, there is a picture floating around online if you have a very strong stomach, but basically his foot is pointing in the completely wrong direction. Um, so he's been put on, I believe he's been put on IR uh, with an idea that he might be able to come back in the playoffs. So obviously the picture just looks worse because unless they're surgically reattaching a different foot, uh, it must just look worse than uh, than it was. From the Green Bay side, this is a good uh, offensive game plan that worked very effectively and they found gaps in the Chiefs defense that other teams haven't been getting this year. And I don't know if that's weather based or just that it was a poor performance from the defense in this game, but they found their space and they worked it uh, from the Chiefs side. Like I said, slightly disappointing defensive showing, but you'll have a few of those on the offensive side. I was really happy to see Andy kind of stick with the run game uh, because he's an awful bastard for not doing it. I don't like that at the tail end when they're trying to do the final drive that he went back to kind of more traditional Andy trying for a lot of deep shots. Like I know that they didn't have timeouts. I know that there was time pressure on, but I think if you found what's working in the game, lean on that a little bit more if you can. Um, But yeah, I think he just got a little bit scared with the time and the lack of timeouts and everything. Um, So yeah, messy game, not hitting the, I'm not hitting the, 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 the big scary warning sign, but I think the Chiefs do need to figure out a little bit more of how to win these close games when they don't have as explosive an offense as they've kind of gotten used to having. Yeah. And I think that's basically the kind of change that's happening in the NFL this year. In total, there's very few good teams that are allowing those explosive plays, which were basically the hallmark of teams like the Chiefs and the Bills and and the even the Bengals, the Rams, etc. You know, a few years ago, and now you're now in a league where you have to work hard. Like these two teams were having to work really hard to move the ball down the field, and that's been true of Mahomes for for a few seasons now. Uh, But I think you definitely see like just a few things have gone against them. Um, where Kelsey is perhaps maybe like 10% less than where he has been in the last couple of years. And so that kind of X factor has been taken away in terms of those, you know, turning kind of, he's still an amazing route runner. He's still finding the gaps in the zone, but he's not turning those into explosive plays, yards after the catch plays, because he just looks, I don't know if he's carrying a knock still, or he's just, you know, getting old, but you're not getting those kind of free explosives for you. And so you're relying more on guys like Rashi Rice, who, He's a solid player, but he's not a great route runner, so he can definitely be an issue in um, like man-to-man or when he's actually asked to beat a man. But you manufacture space for him, he can do some things. But you know, in this game, eight catches for 64 yards, that gives you a sense that you, know, you weren't getting that free yardage and you're not getting the yardage over the top. Um, albeit uh, the final drive, maybe that's because uh, you're getting drops or, or phantom PI, like missing the PI calls. But overall, both teams and, 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 and the Chiefs in particular this season have been dealing with these long drives. Like if you look at the number of long drives in this game, it was very, very noticeable. Like there was only really four drives, maybe five in the first half. There was a bit more going on in the second half, but even there you had multiple drives of around five minutes or so. 
And so, you know, this is where we are in the NFL today. And I think, yeah, there is definitely a frustration for someone like Andy Reid who wants those explosive plays, who for so long had figured out the explosive plays win you games. But now teams are like, we will do anything on defense to stop the explosive plays and we'll make it happen. And that means that, you know, in the first half, when the Green Bay Packers are getting touchdowns and you're getting field goals, that that margin ends up being very significant by the time you get to the business end of the game. Uh, and so that's the kind of just the way the NFL is developing um, this year. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe they need to lean into that, as you say. Maybe they need to go more Pacheco heavy. Maybe they need to be willing to, to grind the clock out, wear out that other defense and hope that you could be more clutch when it matters in those contested zones, in those congested zones. Um, because I think that lack of finesse outside of Kelsey, I think that's been exposed in the red zone to some extent. I think Mahomes more often not makes it work, but he's having to do that on an even more ridiculous level in terms of efficient red zone efficiency than um, you can reasonably expect even from Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, like when, when, for, you, when your red zone is going to like okay let's put our third tight end out there and have them catch passes it's not exactly set up for a passing red zone offense and all and all year we've seen them try loads of just throwing shit at the wall trick plays Kadarius tony bullshit bit of rashi rice all that kind of stuff but maybe you know like like you know i don't know if just running it three times with a uh, pacheco you know would work or at least would reset conditions so that you know kelsey might not be triple covered or whatever he's getting on every uh, red zone drive as for uh, the packers i think you know you see that jordan love week on week is getting better this was a very controlled uh, game he was being forced to do what mahomes is doing he wasn't getting like a load of like explosive plays for free like a few more than uh, Mahomes was getting but certainly not getting those kind of big plays he was getting against Detroit on Thanksgiving and therefore you saw him have to expose some of the weaknesses of this Kansas City defense which I think at the linebacker position is now obviously dealing with a lot of injuries and I think you saw that being exposed by LaFleur and that makes sense because that scheme uh, from the wider Shanahan uh, system loves going after linebackers loves going over the middle loves making plays um a bit off play action um or off, off the quarterback having to look off those linebackers and I think they did enough of that alongside some big plays to Christian Watson and to let's send Robbie Dobbs to kind of make the whole thing work it wasn't perfect by any stretch but it was just solid efficient grinding football and when they got into the red zone they were able to convert now on a different day with those roles being reversed maybe but you can only do with, with what you actually saw on the field and I think you saw that in LaFleur someone who has got a guy up build up his his expectations build up his pressure and now with a fairly soft rest of schedule you would imagine that this team can like if not saunter its way uh, can comfortably make its way into the playoff hunt and given what they put up over the last couple of weeks I think we now have to take them uh, very seriously as someone who could knock off uh, one of the better teams in the league I don't think that would be the expectation but it seems like on their day their defense has a bunch of talent albeit sometimes it plays down to itself but in this game the defense was clutch when it mattered in the red zone early on created that margin I think as the game went on you kind of saw Mahomes get a little bit more uh, get a bit more back into it but you did enough to at least have hope that the Joe Barry defense can be a factor and Jordan loves getting better every week and they're missing Aaron Jones so hopefully to get him back to compliment AJ Dillon who was solid in this game and you know there's something brewing here that maybe it's not going to blow up this year but you know the future of this team feels a lot brighter now than it did a month ago and uh you know if they can make it to the wild card spot maybe this will be an interesting team to keep lying on but yeah Jordan Love I don't know if he's going to turn into you know Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers but you're starting at least to see the the negatives that within a really good system a quarterback uh, a quarterback friendly system that you're seeing some of the things that we respected LaFleur for during the regular season in previous uh, years and that they can get it done and yeah uh, it's been very impressive what they've done considering how tough a middle of the season they have and uh, yeah fair play to them and uh, they're going to be tough for everyone down the stretch as we go into January. 
Yeah. Next up, Sam Fran at Philadelphia, 42 to 19. San Francisco dominated this game. Purdy went over 300 yards and four touchdowns as their defense just wasn't really up to scratch. As we mentioned, it was mostly the linebackers. They just had a big red circle over them and said, let's do everything through here. Devo Samuel went for 138 yards and three touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, 133 yards and a touchdown. They were just absolutely hammering them in that kind of middle part of the field. Uh, San Francisco's defense also got the best of the Philadelphia offensive linemen as well. Uh, maybe with the exception of their head of security, Big Dom, who uh, got a bit up in the face of the linebackers and ended up getting it uh, kicked out of the game. But, uh, you know, they got an early red zone stop. Hurts had an all right game in the box score, 318 yards and two touchdowns. But it was just kind of messy in and out of the lineup. Just very, very... Uh, it basically, as we were saying, it kind of felt the last couple of weeks that Philadelphia have been getting the rub of it and have been a bit outplayed and were due for a loss. And it was just capitalized on massively by San Francisco in this one. Uh, Brown and Smith were kind of constantly taking deep shots. They were kind of doing the tush push a lot. But outside of that, there wasn't a huge amount to their offense. And that's kind of obviously summed up with the, with the 19 points they scored here. But yeah, like, for a team that was steamrolling and was away up and it only had the one loss, uh, well, we can we can stop doing the kind of the the funny Zach Wilson thing now that he's no longer the only uh, the only quarterback to have beaten them. Now it's Brock Purdy as well, but this Philadelphia team feels a little bit like it's on a touch of a downswing. And the important part is obviously going to be I, I said it last week in the preview that I felt that. It maybe wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if San Francisco came in here and punched them in the mouth because it'll force them to reevaluate a little bit and maybe reset coming into it because they've got big games coming up. They're off to Dallas this week, and if they lose there, this could be their, you know, the not just the number one seed, but the their division being up in the air for, for, for grabs as well. Um, so, like, Philly need to figure out a little bit more consistency, find some stuff down the middle, maybe get their run game back going again because that's fallen off a little bit too. From the San Francisco side, this is basically, this is the team that, Sean, you were putting laurels on prior to their kind of their mid-season drop-off they've got Debo back they've got their left tackle back and everything seems to be running again for them perfectly uh like we said Debo went over 100 yards Christian McCaffrey over 100 yards they were putting up touchdowns at ease in this game and they didn't really feel like they were getting too much pushback like 42 points against what's meant to be one of the upper end defensive front sevens is uh is crazy um but yeah, San Francisco looked like, you know, they're obviously ruining the, the dip they had in the middle because at the moment they head and shoulders look to be the best team in the NFC. Um, Philly definitely have the potential, but they've just kind of, like you said, they've, they've been motoring along in third gear and they just can't seem to get into fourth. And realistically, looking at the San Francisco team, once it gets into the playoffs and hopefully these two teams will see each other in the playoffs, uh, they probably need to be hitting fifth gear. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the narrative is that we should have seen this coming, that the Eagles have been getting out of jail multiple times in the last few weeks on top of a season where they've never really looked like <clears throat> hitting the heights of, of last season. Um, 
And so we got to, yeah, I, I think you're right in the sense that maybe this is the best thing that could happen to the Eagles because now they know they ha there are a number of problems that they have to fix and they can go back and they can work on them. And they still have their top of their division. They still have number one seed. So as long as they win out from here, they're, they're still fine. And this can be seen as kind of the, the, the important learning, the lesson learned uh, from that. But, I mean... I guess we'll see which Eagles team turns up next week and down the line as to whether they will move forward because I, I don't think at any point this season have we really seen the Eagles at their best at the at the explosiveness uh, of uh, last season. So And I guess now we get to see whether it is simply a question of, of you know, they didn't have to reach that level that they could have played um, and now they will or if there are some more substantial problems that they have to deal with. I mean, I think the fact that, that they... But I do think you've got to give credit to the 49ers. I, I think this is more of a 49ers win than it necessarily is a, a, an Eagles defeat in terms of which team kind of made their stamp on the game. I think the positive stamp the, the Niners made is more substantial than, than the negative one the Eagles did. The Niners, I mean, this is the thing. When we talked about this team in, in week four, week five, this is like, this is the best team in the NFL and they look that way by quite a distance on both sides of the ball. And then they just had that three weeks where they just stopped playing, largely because of injuries, I think, and also because their, their defense got kind of figured out a little bit. But now they've got their pieces back on the offense and everything is clicking perfectly. Brock Purdy is exact, knows his exact role he should play, and he plays it to perfection. Debo had a massive game here. Everything everything is working perfectly, and this Niners, this plug and like, it just it clicks perfectly on the offensive side when everyone is healthy. The question with the Niners coming down the stretch is whether they can stay healthy, uh, because that does seem to be the biggest obstacle on the offensive side. But what really I think needs to be underlined here is how good this defense played here, and it was all parts of this defense kind of work together to win this game. So they clamp down on the run game to kind of force the Eagles to pass a lot. And then in the passing, they, they you know, put a lot of pressure to force Hurts to scramble. And on top of that, the secondary was completely dominating the receivers, so Hurts never had the easy out option. Like every single part of this defense was doing its job and doing its job well. When you put those two things together, an offense that plays as well as the, as the Niners offense can when it's healthy, plus a defense that understands the game plan and is executing it well, is really hard to see how anybody is going to be able to stop this team when they play at this level. Now, again, to go back to earlier in the season when I talked about them going 17-0, the problem, as we've seen, is that they do have weeks where either because of injuries or because of game plan, those two things don't click together and they don't look uh, quite as good as they should do. But there's no question in my mind that if we talk about team ceiling, which team has the highest ceiling, there's no doubt in my mind that the Niners have the highest ceiling of any team in the NFL. The question for them is about executing it every week, week in, week out, all the way down the stretch. And I, I have to give them a chance to believe that they're going to be able uh, to do that. And it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Uh, it, from Philly, I mean, I think part of the issues were the Dallas Goddard injury. I think he's kind of the glue that kind of binds that offense together to a certain extent, and him being out kind of reduces the impact of what they're doing in certain ways. I think on the defense side, I think the defense looked just quite tired by the end of the game, which when you think about, they, I think they had 95 plays in the Bills game last week, so maybe that caught up with them. Maybe this addition of Shaq Leonard will kind of be the boost that they need. Um, but certainly the Eagles have the talent, but they're not putting the talent together. And I think the difference between these two teams is that both teams are incredibly talented on both sides of the ball, but the Niners feel like when they have their game plan together, they are unbeatable. And at no point this season have the Eagles ever quite got 
there yet. That's not to say that they won't, but to say is I haven't seen it yet. So that's why I think you've got to give the Niners the edge in terms of down the stretch in the playoffs who you think is the better team and who you think the favorite is to go deeper. Yeah. Next up, Indianapolis at Tennessee, another overtime game, 31-28. to Minshew had over 300 yards, two touchdowns and a fumble, uh, hitting up Pittman for over 100 yards and a touchdown, and Pierce for over 100, for actually I think 100 on the nose and a touchdown, and they get the overtime win. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite impressive, particularly without Jonathan Taylor in there. They had some incredible special teams play. There's a great video of one of the punt blocks out there where a gunner, out the left just kind of breaks inside at the last second and then just kind of goes in unobstructed it was fantastic uh one of them went for a touchdown and there was a pick two it was uh I, if you're a special teams not this is the game to go back into uh levis was fine i suppose 224 yards and a touchdown he was kind of fairly promising he was able to recover a fumble but yeah like this was kind of them going back to very traditional looking Tennessee style stuff. So Derek Henry had two touchdowns and 120 yards on the ground. Hopkins, 75 yards and uh, a touchdown in that. But yeah, it was just, like we said, it's that thing of the Tennessee recipe is a little bit stale and maybe leaves adds a little bit of something to it, but it's just, it just doesn't compel me very much. Minshew, on the other hand, while a bit messy, as we said, he's a fumble and everything. He's uh, he's a bit of fun to, to to watch from time to time, and this was a little bit better from him as well. Um, it's a, an important win for India, as we said. They're kind of making a charge at both their division because uh, I think they're only a game back now, and if not that, at a wild card spot. Uh, and Tennessee kind of feel like they're on a downstroke, but yeah, like this is this is an exciting Indianapolis team. Their offense is a bit of fun between Pittman and Pierce they've got weapons on the outside to get it doing if they can get Taylor back I think is it another three weeks or four weeks he's expected to be gone so they could have him coming in for a stretch if they can get in towards the tail end and be playing relevant week 17 football but the downside is their defense is really not up to scratch they shouldn't have been allowing this much on the ground to Henry like there's not a ton of weapons on the Tennessee side, so you would have expected their defense to step up a little bit more and not have it be a 28-28 game, frankly. You would have liked to have seen a little bit more pressure. You would have liked to have seen them just kind of, you know, force them to stumble a little bit more, but there wasn't. Like, And credit to Tennessee, it was, you know, relatively mistake-free football. But, um, yeah, like Indianapolis... I could see them being a bit of fun in the playoffs, like maybe taking a scalp. Like they don't feel like a team that's going to do much in there, but like on their day, this Indianapolis team could definitely surprise you. Like on current form, there's not exactly a tearaway monster in the AFC. So it, particularly with Jonathan Taylor coming back, they could do something interesting. It could be that, do you remember that Jag season back in, was it 2014 when they got into the AFC championship game? Like it could be that kind of style. Like maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, it, it's heartening for Indianapolis. You're kind of thinking like there was such a relatively milk toast organization that like, I kind of forgot about them being 500 and then they went on by and then I just forgot about them entirely. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Gardner Minshew's a bit of fun whenever he's not like, you know, he'll, he'll have this kind of game and then he'll have another game where he has three interceptions, you know, like it's kind of, you, you take the bad with the good with it. But um, no, this is a strong performance uh, way to Tennessee puts them in a nice position. Like we said, there's a lot of people making themselves playoff relevant and these kind of performances are what they need to put in to stay playoff relevant in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's rare to have a game which makes me believe you're less likely to make the playoffs, but 
actually make me want to see you in the playoffs more. It's kind of those kind of weird games that the Colts are kind of having. Like, I think they kind of felt like they were running out of juice a bit going into their bye. They were managing to sneak by. They got that win uh, in the UK, obviously against the Patriots. That was probably a low moment for the offense but the last two games shootouts with the Bucks and now the Titans and those aren't teams you should necessarily be having shootouts in if you have genuine you know playoff aspirations but I can't I gotta admit it's fun to watch it's it's fun to just perceive and this game this game was just weird man it was just one of those games that makes you go man football is a weird game sometimes like you had just so many play you have plays here that mightn't happen in entire seasons and yet they all just happened in this one stupid dumb game that the Colts I'm sure would wished would have been close to sorry easy win for them so they can move on to the tougher test ahead like Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and, and the Texans but you know screw it this is why we watch football as a neutral observer it's hard not to love it and I think yeah Minshew it's not perfect by any stretch and the, his fumble was a key fumble it was in the you know near the goal line and that felt like a bad moment for this team and maybe this game was going to slip away in tennis here we're gonna get a good scalp on what is a lost season uh but he turned it around he started making those big plays you saw a couple of nice big throws to alec pierce who's been a bit missing this season um josh downs hopefully will get back to being fully healthy as the as the season goes on he's been a bit missing but you know i think with pierce stepping up to provide a compliment to Pittman, who's just that you know 10 catches a game type guy they just get it to him he moves the chains he moves the sticks um it feels like every single game and a solid run game and Zach Moss was not great here. It was less than three yards of carry, but they're they're happy to keep giving it to him, and hopefully they'll have better days ahead. But yeah, it, it's it, it's not sensical. But when Minshew's on a heater, it's fun, it's dumb, and he always does little his little titty dance. Um, as busy as I perceive it, um, so it's hard not to like it. And as you say, when JT comes back, uh, if he comes back in the, in the home stretch, whether that be in the playoffs towards the end of the season, then they do get back someone who, before his injury, looked like he was going to be a real X factor uh, down the stretch. But obviously, the flowers here should go to the special teams coordinator uh, for the Colts, who actually got the Tennessee special teams coordinator fired. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but uh, he was fired uh, after this by Vrabel. Uh, two punt blocks in a row, like that's pretty goddamn rare. The first one, a more standard pump block that ended up being returned for a touchdown which as you just said then was followed by a pick two uh by Gardner Minshew like that's just a ridiculous sequence of events there and then the next the next pump block was the uh the type that was stolen from New England earlier this season where the guy who looked he was a, he was on uh block duty uh on the edge came in and just swung in with the right timing and just hit him and absolutely pummeled Ryan Stonehouse who's actually done for the season so much more my uh special teams uh preseason special teams of the player uh pick um but you know it's just kind of yeah Indianapolis probably should have lost this game Tennessee for the large parts were the better team but you know you make those clutch plays you make it happen and then in the end at the end of the game in overtime you move it down the field with a big play to Pierce you get the ball to Pittman in the end zone and it's just yeah I don't know if this will work every week but it's fun while it lasts as for Tennessee I think you know for a team that's been really really poor to watch recently yes against the bad defense to see anything I think is progress and Levis was definitely up for this game um he had an early run game where he basically got helicoptered when he jumped in the air and two pit uh, sorry two uh coach defensers just spun him around and then yeah the ridiculous recovered his own fumble he 
knew he'd fumbled the ball, just ran right forward into the jaws of the defense and recovered that ball. You know, the guy's got balls. Anyway, I can't, I could certainly give him that. And with a little bit more consistency around him, maybe this could end up seeing some more exciting things down the stretch. And I think, you know, in this game, Derrick Henry looked like old Derrick Henry. He was absolutely bossing uh, the Indianapolis Colts offense, especially early on this game. He did have to leave late on. I think that was part of the reason why the offense kind of slowed down. wasn't quite where it was late on. Tiger Spears is a good player, but not Derrick Henry grind down the other team type player and even Hopkins threw in with the touchdown here but yeah those special teams um, errors which allowed the Colts to come back at a point where Tennessee looked like they were going to race away or at least take control of the game they will be very costly and they cost someone their job so you know obviously they're not really playing for any at this point but it would have been a good scalp to have but uh, yeah Indianapolis I'm interested to see where they go from here I don't think they're a particularly solid team but they're a fun team and uh, compared to some of the other teams around them I'm happy to take it yeah and uh finally denver at houston 17 to 22 the houston defense stepped up massively in this game they had three interceptions and three sacks but they got the three second half picks including a red zone pick on the final denver drive which allowed them to win this game in which their offense kind of didn't show up quite as much as it had in previous ones stroud had 274 yards and a touchdown uh obviously we mentioned they lost dell in that one uh which kind of hampered the passing offense a little bit and denver's defense as we've mentioned pretty much every week for the last five or six weeks is really coming on. They had five sacks in this game, putting him under constant pressure, but uh, the defense won out. Russell Wilson at 230 yards and two touchdowns. But as I mentioned, three interceptions, particularly bad times in the second half. And uh, yeah, just kind of, it unraveled entirely undoing they were up three to 16 at one point uh and then just kind of let it all fritter away sutton had 77 yards and a touchdown so he was sort of leading those guys there but yeah just mistake riddled football from houston uh aside from denver like it's it's an interesting one because we kind of felt at a certain point denver were going to fall back to earth i think it was five in a row they had won before this and houston were the better team coming into this and we talked about this as the wild hard wildcard hunt kind of game that out of the two of these teams who are both in that pursuit we would have loved to see Houston there instead now obviously the loss of Tank Dell is going to lower some of the ceiling on that on that offense a little bit but still and we talked about it at, at, at length in the in the in the uh, news section look they have weapons they'll figure it out it was just that they weren't really able to adjust on the fly as much in Denver and Denver is a very good defense to be going against particularly then when you lose your top wide out and have to adjust a lot of players on routes from the Denver perspective you had a strong enough performance out of Russell Wilson for three quarters you need to be able to dust away a game like that and be it that you need to adjust to running the ball a bit more or you know at, at, at this stage maybe considering he'd already thrown two interceptions take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands when you're down the red zone with the possibility to win the game at the end anyway I don't know but yeah like this feels like kind of where the ceiling on Denver is 17 to 24 points kind of region uh, can put it up if their defense is playing particularly well but yeah, like will make mistakes because they, you know, it's just the nature of the style of play that they have there. And I'd be intrigued to know in the locker room afterwards if this is the coach taking ownership for calling the incorrect plays or maybe like, you know, taking the defense the wrong way and, and, and being too risky. Or if they might kind of go, well, Russell Wilson 
is going back to doing Russell Wilson things, feeling himself after, you know, the, the bit of a wind shrink they've been on and decided to ad lib a little bit and maybe hold the ball a bit too long or, you know, make some questionable calls at the line. I'd be really intrigued to know what the split on those interceptions were between coach called plays and Russell Wilson adjustments to plays. Yeah, I saw an interesting, in kind of researching for this, an interesting thing online, an article, and I think it was a Broncos website that says that Russell Wilson is not the problem, but he's also not the solution. And I, I think that kind of sums up the Denver problem on the offensive side to a certain extent, that they're, it's an offense that, that doesn't quite know what it's doing or how it wants to get there. Um, and a lot of the responsibility then falls on Russell Wilson to do things, but he's he's just past his prime. I think we just need to accept uh, all of us, including Sean Payton, accept that Russell Wilson, the Russell Wilson of two years ago, is just gone. That it wasn't just a, a Nathan Hackett problem. It's just that Russell Wilson's just not as good as he used to be. And you get a situation like this where a team can come up with a defensive strategy which pushes more responsibility onto Russ, and then you get mistakes. And I think that, I think what you got to give credit for the Texans, particularly on the defensive side for, for finding a way to force the Broncos into, into passing situations that they didn't necessarily want to be in. They stifled the run game, which, which meant that the offense had to take more of a risk, risk taking approach because their game is kind of built upon steady, steady downward pressure on the run game. And when they fall behind the count, they, 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 push on the pass game uh, and then you with Russ at the moment that's a bad idea because it was mostly chunk plays he wasn't trying to to do the short passes he wasn't trying to to do the, the slants it was all trying to take it in big chunks and eventually there was going to be a mistake um, down the line so I, I don't necessarily I think there needs to be as this team evolves and I think they the defense is maybe evolving slightly faster than the offense in this regard which is why they're such an un, such a horrible team to watch sometimes because it's such an offensive grind in certain ways but they need to they need to figure out what happens when their plan a gets taken apart how do they move beyond it and they need to maybe this is a next year thing this is a sean payton sits down with russell wilson in the offseason and says sorry mate your time is up we're going to try and find somebody else and then they find a more dynamic quarterback and they put that in the system and then i think maybe that they do be, are able to take the next step for that quarterback's name sean Taysom Hill. <laughs> finally, his moment has come. In the, in the rarefied air of playing at mile high, finally his passes can actually go the distance that they need to go. Um, yeah, so I, I think there is, I think with this Denver team, I think we're starting to get a, not this year, but maybe next, that the Sean Payton coaching is starting to, to you know, blossom but he doesn't necessarily have the parts to really take that next step uh, forward and I think it will start with maybe a change in quarterback down the line on terms of the defensive side Ben don't break seems to work and they did a decent job here against a red hot offense but um, I don't necessarily know if that's the best way to run your your defense uh, down the stretch against good offenses to kind of give them plays and then try and clamp down when they get to the red zone in terms of the Texans, it's you know still so much fun to watch, and we're all rooting for CJ Stroud. The tank tail injuries is a heartbreaker. We got to rely on Nico Collins stepping up. Their schedule is soft-ish. They have they have two games against the Titans. They have the Jets. Um, they have the Colts. They have the Browns. I mean, they could definitely win four of those five games if they had to, which would put them at 11 wins and possibly probably win the division in that sense if the Jags don't push on from there. What I really like about the Texans, as you talk about, Connor, is the, the defense looks 
it gets better and better every week. What I really liked this week was watching the, the young guys, Stingley and Anderson, start to evolve to become really big parts of the defense to be the guys who are making the big plays. And maybe that's what this Texans defense has kind of been missing is that the standout players, right? Your, your Aiden Hutchinson types, your Max Crosby types, the types that do the explosive things and make you want to watch them. And maybe this is what Stingley and Anderson are starting to evolve um, into. So it really feels like the Texans every week, it gets a... It feels like it's making a little bit more sense. And now the big challenge is how will they, as I talked about earlier, how will they adjust on offense to not having Tank Dell as an option and to CJ Stroud find a way to, to maybe pull Nico Collins in, into that WR1 role and, and everyone else kind of steps up or do they try and do it a different way? So Houston, it's, it's really fun to watch and I, I think they might win their division. Uh, I'm starting to get that sense that maybe they're going to steal the division off the Jags and you know, home playoff game and who knows where it will end and it could be a really fun January for these guys. With Denver, I, I don't want to see them in the playoffs and if I do, I think it'll be one and done. But I think next year when Peyton gets to bring in more people that he wants, it could be a very interesting project down the line. Yeah. And like we said, look, all games are important, just some are more important than others. And, uh, you know, Fitz likes the other kind. That's why we put them in the dump-off form. So here's Fitz. Yes, dump-off for week 13. Shorter dump-off as a bunch of teams are on by, but that doesn't mean there weren't some pretty dumpy games to get to. But a couple of more interesting games first. Detroit at New Orleans, 33-28. to a game which early on felt like Detroit were going to blast this uh, pretty annoying New Orleans team into the stratosphere. They were 21-0 up early. Uh, but then they let New Orleans sneak back into this game. You saw Carr uh, get the ball to Alave. Kamara started being a factor both in the pass and the run game. Uh, but then Carr obviously got hit out of this game. You know, Winston showed up for a bit, didn't do much, and they managed to survive. Early on, Goff looked hot. He had two touchdowns. Uh, Laporta went over uh, with 140 yards and a touchdown. And uh, the run game was key. The uh, two-headed monster was going well. Albeit, you prefer to have done a bit more when the game was there for the salting away. As for a car before he got injured, classic car, 226 yards, a touchdown, and then two turnovers. You know, they just can't not find a way to screw themselves over fields like every week, even when they are playing well. But that 21-0 hole turned out to be a little bit too much. And yeah, they'll they'll rue this given that they're in a very soft division. But uh, yeah, pretty a key win for Detroit to get back on track, but those vulnerabilities still definitely there. Next up, Cleveland with the Rams, 19 to 36. The Rams well into the wildcard hunt in the NFC now. Stafford had a supreme game against what is supposed to be a very talented Cleveland defense, but which got zero turnovers, zero sacks. They were destroyed early on by Puka Nakua, who had to leave the game uh, during the middle and then came back. I don't know what kind of uh, elephant <laughs> tranks he's on uh, to get back in but he was back in there and it wasn't as productive but 105 yards of touchdown mostly on a 70 yard highlight touchdown uh, where Stafford just zipped it past the uh, linebackers and Puka took it the rest of the way um, so for the for, for the Rams it's all about Stafford basically and to a lesser extent Donald on the defense but when he's playing hot he is genuinely one of the best quarterbacks in the league and that can often be enough as for Cleveland's quarterback situation, well, it's in a bit of flux right now. Uh, DTR was injured, so Flacco came in. The elite dragon, Flacco, actually had a pretty good game, especially early on. 255 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He flashed his big arm, which seems, seems to still have a, 
a lot of energy left in it and it was pretty solid like he just wasn't making mistakes getting rid of the ball but then showing at opportune moments he could hit it deep uh, and he can get it past the linebackers and he can like throw it off a you know not perfect platform but I think as the game fell away late um, and I think you know uh, you saw him have to do more you couldn't just rely on like play action and running the ball and kind of being opportunistic um, that yet yeah, the old issues showed up he's obviously not the most mobile back there and then you saw uh, particularly on the final drive the Rams defense finally got him hit a few times and yeah the interception that he threw late turned out to be the key turning point uh, it's disappointing for Cleveland who are now in a big wildcard jump uh, but the Rams showing their quality uh, with the players that they do have Atlanta at the Jets 13 to 8 Atlanta get a win but I uh, wouldn't really take much away from it for them. Ritter had a touchdown on a short field, but otherwise they were inefficient. Even the run game, Trebijan was held to less than three yards to carry. But they avoided the big mistakes outside an early safety, and that was enough because this Jets offense basically does not exist in this game. Um, they give away three turnovers, and if you're incredibly unproductive and giving the ball away, there's just no way to win games. So, you know, Boyle was benched during this game. Simeon came in and was... I don't know, kind of better, but still awful. Uh, but the issues on this offense are so systematic that I don't think there's any way to, to really recover at this point. Rodgers isn't coming back. Carolina Tampa Bay, 18-21. Evans goes over 1,000 yards for the 10th time in his career and in a showboaty way, big play. Uh, Evans uh, basically kept this uh, Tampa Bay offense afloat. He went for 162 yards and touchdown, including a couple of big plays that were important to get their touchdowns. White was solid again, over 100 yards with the touchdown. You know, it wasn't great from the offense. Bigger did enough. 202 yards to touch that interception. Um, but on the other side, you know, Carolina had plenty of chances to win this game. But once again, they struggled late on. Um, they couldn't move the ball. Young threw another interception. Like, the run game was working better in this game. Hubbard was over 102 touchdowns. So it wasn't the problem there. Um, but you just see the same issue show up again and again when the chips are down. And Tampa Bay's defense, which wasn't great. And it has a bunch of injuries. Managed to get it done when it mattered uh, towards the end of the game with a, a key interception and some sacks. Next up... Arizona-Pittsburgh 24-10. Surprise win for Arizona in a game that was mostly been interrupted by uh, two storms. Uh, Kyler, 165 yards and a touchdown. He has uh, love eyes for McBride. And I think the key turning point in this game was when um, the uh, picket uh, on fourth down on the goal line gets injured, goes out. Uh, you know, 99-yard field for the Cardinals. They march all the way down for a McBride touchdown. And after that, um, it was never really close. Um, so this game, obviously a lot of kind of sliding doors moments for the respective teams. And then down the stretch, James Conner against his former team. Well, if it's a metaphor, you know, the Steelers were cancer and James Conner was James Conner. And he just absolutely pummeled them basically um, into dust uh, as the game went on, especially on the final couple of drives. Pickett struggled early on, to be honest, and, uh, and the injury came on a, an attempt to rescue a kind of bad play. Trubisky was not much better but the defense and special teams which has kind of saved them in so many games didn't really help their cause here and Arizona get a, a surprise win and one that makes Pittsburgh's uh, playoff chances much more muddy Miami at Washington 45-15 an old school beatdown uh, Miami basically didn't even have to try in this game uh, early on Tua got two touchdowns which were both just even up the hill and uh, apparently Washington were playing man coverage and got absolutely destroyed you know maybe some lessons to be learned there for the rest of the league actually the rest of the league has already learned Washington are just dumb um, Mostert and A-Chain, uh, they kind of salted away the game with three touchdowns between them. Howell, he threw a pick six on a screen under 150 yards and just struggled throughout. The only element they had that worked for a while was Brian Robinson, but he left the game through injury. And Miami's defense, which uh, despite all the injuries, is, is improving each game and becoming a real factor week on week. And finally, oh my gosh, the, the New England once again uh, dominate the end of the dump off. 6-0 win for the Chargers. They covered a five and a half spread with two field goals. 
uh, as all the betting people were telling us. This is a grim game, one of the worst games that you could ever possibly sit down and watch, uh, which very few people did. New England's offense, absolutely terrible. Um, Zappi was a non-factor. Once Stevenson went out, they were somehow even worse, and they basically failed on multiple chances late on to win this game, because obviously it was a one-score game throughout. Uh, that's just, you know, definitionally correct. Um, like the, the Chargers defense was having its way, they got the fumble, five sacks, two for Cleo Mack I believe, eight tackles for a loss, it was just domination, you know, I wouldn't look at the other side of the ball for the Chargers, they did it enough, they set up their two short field, uh, field goals, but Herbert, yeah, he's getting very little help, and in this game was genuinely just bad himself, but I suppose against Bill Belichick you'll excuse him a little bit, but you'd really like to see more from um, the rest of these weapons, they still have, you know, Eckler and Allen, so they should be still doing things, but here, just completely hopeless, but hey, it didn't matter because New England, truly are the most dump-off of dump-off teams and I don't know if they'll get, be worth putting here every week but uh, they certainly feel like a good candidate to be here for the rest of the season. So that's the dump-off of week 13 on to previews of week 14. Okay, so first up we've got Thursday Night Football. Oh god. <laughs> New England at Pittsburgh. Uh, we've gone for Pittsburgh across the board, Sean. Yes, because they're likely to score points which it seems to be now beyond... The New England offense to do. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, Mac Jones benched, Zappi brought in, it gets worse maybe, and now Stevenson is injured, so the only guy who was actually doing anything on his offense is gone. On the other side, it's Mitch Titties uh, with a, an offense that didn't really do an awful lot, um, uh, you know, under Matt Canada and slightly better under the new regime. It's going to be a defensive-heavy game. I think. I think it could end up being this game is won by whichever defense gets more pick sixes or is more aggressive with turnovers. Because it kind of feels like the offenses may not score any points or certainly not many points. So maybe it comes down to which defense ends up scoring more points or gets turnovers closer to the goal line, um, so they can kick more field goals. Um. Yeah, this is this is going to be an ugly, ugly, ugly game. Uh, okay, and I guess Sean, it's punishment we, we for the Thursday night guys getting Seattle-Dallas last week is now they have to, to watch the anti-Seattle-Dallas game where it'll just be punts all the time. Um, and yeah, Pittsburgh to win because there's slightly offense might score a few uh, points on their own. Um, and their defense is maybe a tiny bit more explosive now that New England's defense has got injuries. But, God, this game is going to be awful. And the sooner this season is over and the Pats can get their number one pick and bring in a proper quarterback, the better, as far as I can concerned. Now, the Carolina Panthers might have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, into the early slate, the Rams are traveling up to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. We've gone for Baltimore across the board. This is my pick of the week. Uh, it's a Baltimore offense that's trying to figure itself out without Andrews there, so they're going to need, say, Flowers to step up. They're going to need OBJ to be there. They're going to need Lamar to be doing some exciting things. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see because they are currently up at the top of the AFC. They're currently leading their division. They can't be dropping games, but this is a Rams team that's a little bit feisty. Stafford's been playing quite well when he's protected. So the question is, can they protect him in this and allow him time to pick apart the Baltimore defense? Because they've got a lot of good wide receivers, but this is an excellent defense in Baltimore. So I think it should make for a very exciting matchup unless Baltimore just absolutely have their number and lock it down and then it'll become quite one way traffic but you know there's question marks in the Baltimore offense and you want to see what that looks like without the tight end there there's you know an exciting Rams offense that if it can get going could really take it to them and I'm, I just think there's potential here for quite an explosive game um, and I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that that's what we get 
Yeah, I think it's a huge test for, for Matt Stafford. Like this defense under Mike McDaniel has been a more often than not an absolutely devastating force. They they shut down many of the other you know contending teams in the NFC. They they've shut down Seattle. They shut down the Lions earlier this season. So I think Stafford's going to have a real test in his hands here because this defense is all about disguise. It's all about you know a blitz can come from anywhere. It's basically incredibly hard to decipher pre-snap, and it's doing. I suppose it's kind of the optimal version of what you know Bill Belichick was hoping to do this season with his version of the kind of you know moving things around in the backfield. You know pressure can come from anywhere. So if Stafford can keep them afloat in this game and each keep it competitive then that's a huge fillip for them and he probably will be helped that that's like rams sorry this ravens offense will probably not be as consistent as it would be if it had mark andrews but i expect that they'll give the ball more to the running backs and keaton mitchell's been getting more involved week and week and he's obviously such a huge explosive element in the run game we'll see if that can work against the you know an improving young uh, rams defense but yeah i think when the chips are down if this game is close he's gonna have to rely on obj or flowers to be a consistent force in the pass game and that may be an issue or not so i think the the baltimore ravens are, are rightfully favored this game um, but if we get like peak Matt Stafford, which we have seen at times this year, then I wouldn't count out the Rams completely. Yeah, I, I think you've got to trust the Ravens a little bit more because it kind of feels like it's it's finally it's starting to click completely on both sides of the ball. The, the offense, albeit Andrews is out, but Zay Flowers is having a great season. Looks like a good addition that Lamar certainly has passing options and that just makes them so much more dangerous. And their defense is as the kind of the standard Ravens defense, which is always good. Whereas with the, with the Rams, it's like, yes, at their best, they can be quite an exciting team, but I still think they're quite a young team. They're quite a, a flawed team in that sense. I just think that the Ravens are just further along on their evolution. And so, and given where they are at the moment, they, they seem to be in a good place, whereas earlier in the season they were a bit messy, but now they seem to be a good place. The pro, as I said, that the real thing we're looking for here is not that the Ravens go up 21-0 early, which they do tend to do in some games, and they actually make it a contest because it could be a fun game to watch. Yeah. Next up, Indianapolis at Cincinnati. I've gone for Indy. You boys have gone for Cincy. Uh, you talked about it there. Minshew was having one of his good games. Let's see if he can have a second one. Uh, because this is a solid but not like phenomenal Cincinnati defense. And they do have a good couple of wide receivers there, albeit with a slightly less good backfield with Taylor out. But Moss has been pretty good for them uh, in his spots in and out of the lineup. Uh, from the other side, the question is, what we saw from Browning this week, was that sustainable? Like we said, is this the kind of thing where Indy will just stack the box a little bit more and say beat us over top. Indianapolis's defense has been mid, I'd say, so far this year, and I think they underperformed last week, so hopefully they can step it up a little bit more against a more inexperienced uh, offense. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. The problem internally is just the Cincinnati team has so many weapons on the outside that like it's hard to match up with them, and it's a, it, it's a good spot to be in as a quarterback that's still probably got room to grow but uh, I'm still siding slightly on Indy to try and keep the pressure on for their run towards a, uh, a hilarious hilarious cameo in the uh, playoffs yeah I, I think I'm just going to keep the fate with Browning I, I think the, the they demonstrated in, in that Monday night game that they the coaches know what they're doing and Browning seems to be a good system quarterback and I mean it's it, we, we saw it if it clicks this offense can not quite reach borough levels, but can be quite up there. Whereas the Colts are so boom and bust on offense, and you just don't know which Gardner Minshew is going to show up. And it's with with Taylor out, I think it limits their their offensive options somewhat. So I think the Bengals perversely just are at a better place offensively than the Colts are at the moment. And 
Yeah, there is a weakness, obviously, in the Bengals' defense that that you know has been increasingly exposed as this season has gone on. Um, but I just don't know if the Colts have the, the firepower to really take apart the secondary the way that they other teams can. Yeah, and the Colts' defense is weak, so it's a question of whether what Browning put out there this week, whether they can figure it out, they can just adjust to it, and then hopefully kind of take away the easy throws and kind of force Browning to be the focus point of the offense, not allow him to just be able to rely on play action with the run game humming. And so if Indianapolis can just reach that kind of level, then he can keep it close and, and potentially win this game. But I, I just don't trust their defense enough to do that. So I'm just going to edge Cincinnati here. As for Minshew, it'll be up and down. I'm sure there'll be mistakes. There'll be big plays and stuff like that. And it's great for fantasy because you know exactly where the ball is going to go for the Pittman and then big plays to the Pearson Co. And Moss will get a lot of carries. So it's a very close game, but incredibly important because both these teams are right in that wildcard hunt. Yeah, and I'm in no way biased by the fact I just traded for Minshew because I'm afraid I don't have a starting quarterback in the fantasy <laughs> league. Uh, Tampa Bay at Atlanta is up next. Uh, myself and Ron have gone for Atlanta and Sean's gone for Tampa Bay. Uh, if Atlanta can win this, they can kind of seize control properly of the NFC South. We need to see Ritter not making mistakes here and we need to see their coach actually using their superstar players and running backs correctly. From the other side of it, we're just kind of looking at a Tampa Bay team that has, you know, Evans has gone for his 10th in a row thousand yard season mm-hmm. i think it is now which is just remarkable consistency white's been doing very well on the ground for them but you know they do have injuries there they don't have the depth they once had they're you know even more so up and down quarterback play coming out of there so it'll be i don't think this is a slam dunk in either direction you just hope that atlanta at home should be able to grind this out the problem being i just don't know what to expect from their coach when it comes to game planning yeah, and I think, like, appropriately for the NFC South matchup, it's probably going to come down to which team can avoid the back-breaking mistakes, whether that be turnovers, whether that be just choosing to do dumb things. If it's dumb things, it'll probably be Arthur Smith making them. Um, and I think in both cases, these are teams with a lot of flaws. Uh, Atlanta, it felt like up until that Jets team, maybe, you know, either by give the ball to Bijan more, make it work. But you saw the Jets defense, which is, to be fair, quite good, stop the run game, and then it goes to the Ritter's hand, and he was very conservative, and he's kind of turtled a little bit but i think turtling is superior to the you know throw three interceptions type ritter so you know i think tampa bay's defense which has a lot of injuries right now their job should be to basically force them into an incredibly low risk scenario because i think if if it comes down to that then maybe you know the kind of more consistent explosive elements of the tampa bay defense basically mike evans and to a lesser extent rashad white um those all nearly every game get enough production they have some impact so you know, I'm willing to edge Atlanta because they're at home and they, they probably are the more talented team overall and their defense has been quite opportunistic at times this season. But yeah, this is certainly no gimme in a dumb NFC South. Yeah, my, my vote is for the power of the NFC South to, to overwhelm them. <laughs> I mean, the Falcons are 6-6. Six and six. There's, just, there's just no way the Falcons are going to get above 500. Like, the, the universe will not allow that to happen. Whoever wins the NFC South this season is going to win it at 8-9. and nine. And so the Bucks are going to pull the Falcons down from their notions and bring them back down uh, into the mire. I, I think offensively, the, the Bucks are starting to, to figure out what they have and what they can work with. Baker seems more comfortable than I've seen him in a long time. Evans is having a good season. So I, I think there's there's a lot going there offensively that I just I just... The Falcons' offense—we've talked about it endlessly about the you know the missed opportunities and the failures to to make the most of what they have. I still just don't trust Arthur Smith to make good decisions, and so I feel the books are offensively at least in a better place than the Falcons. And I think the the fact that they 
the Falcons are six and six will do the rest of the job for me in terms of who's going to win it. <laughs> Fair enough. Carolina at New Orleans up next. We've gone for New Orleans across the board. I was so close to picking Carolina, but then I was like, ah, but it's the Panthers. Yeah, look, Carolina just—they're losing every game the season. Like that, the only thing that really going for them is that their defense has been solid enough, and so they'll hope that against probably Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, some kind of weird quarterback situation that they can get a turnover or two and help out Young and the offense get it going. And on the offense, they can hope that they can keep the Chubba Hubbard running game going and that Young can just avoid those kind of back-breaking mistakes he's made. But the New Orleans defense has been a bit underwhelming in recent weeks, but against this Carolina offense, I expect them to still get it done and do enough to win this game. But uh, yeah, not, not one for the purists, I would say, at best. Yeah, next up, Jacksonville at Cleveland. Me and Sean have gone for Jacksonville. Ronan's gone for Cleveland. Uh, obviously, the big question mark over this, and it may impact my pick at the end, is will Lawrence be suiting up or will it be C.J. Bethard or Beathard uh, coming in to take on this Cleveland defense that uh, it's been good but underperformed a bit in the last week or so. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we've got questions of is it going to be DTR or Flacco coming in at quarterback. Flacco actually played a surprisingly decent game because I think mostly because the offensive line held up for him, uh, but DTR still is yet to clear concussion protocol i know that they downgraded flacco back to practice squad but that's i think some kind of designation they have to do for bringing him up yeah, and down that happens a lot of time yeah. yeah so um we'll see we'll see what happens there but I, I, like their plan is probably going to be particularly if it's bethard uh under center just keep the run game going a huge amount and hope that their defense can show out because as we said this jacksonville defense didn't really do much last week um but yeah my hope would be from the jacksonville side that they have lawrence there they get a good bit going that they are a bit more exciting a bit more dynamic and that their defense kind of turns a corner a little bit again because like you know they don't like you said sean they don't generate a lot of pressure uh naturally but josh allen is there if you can get pressure on flacco like we saw what he was like with the jets whenever he was getting pressure on him he can't survive pressure because he can't move anymore so that's what their key to the game is going to be is going to be generating pressure if it's uh flacco under center yeah it's like very hard to analyze a game where you don't know what's happening at quarterback for either team basically like lawrence even if he plays will probably be strapped up and be less mobile and that will limit some aspects of his game, which have been important in key moments. And he's obviously going against a defense that, yes, had a poor week 13, but which on the resume of the entire season has been solid. And they'll obviously hope to get more and more of their troops back and Miles Garrett will be a week healthier. And I expect them to be a factor here, uh, especially if they can bottle up the run game and force the ball into onto Lawrence or Bethard and then on the other side yeah Joe Flacco looked interesting DTR looked pretty good as well so you know both their replacement quarterbacks have had moments where they've looked solid and, and certainly not disasters except for DTR's debut earlier on the season um, and obviously the run game has been typically uh, fairly effective but I think the Jacksonville defense can stop the run so you expect that both the, whichever quarterback is starting to for the Cleveland Browns will have to do a bit more um, than they've had to do in recent weeks and this Jacksonville defense like I was actually kind of coming around to it uh but that performance that last week same. has just turned me off again and so i'm going to edge it for cleveland but this game obviously really important given both teams are well into the the playoff hunt but basically both teams are in a huge amount of flux at the moment so very hard to call yeah and we've just got confirmation in there now that uh, christian kirk isn't going to be available for the game he's probably going to have to have surgery on the injury he's had and will be out for a couple of weeks yeah so now you're relying on the less reliable like zay jones and yeah. calvin ridley so they're good players but that christian kirk i thought was like the, the glue of the wide receiver room yeah it's a big test for the jags I, I especially i think their coaches now on both sides can they scheme up a, an offensive 
thing that works with or without Lawrence against what is a top defense. And on the other side, can their defense figure out how to find the flaws in what is a very uh, not spectacular Cleveland offense, even if they do, say, get someone like Flacco at quarterback? I, I think they're... And given how important it is to their season that they keep winning, I think this is a very big game for the Jags. If they lose this, this could be this the season starting to disintegrate before their eyes because it's the AFC wildcard race is a tough place to be and, and you don't want to get dragged down into it. Yeah, and bear in mind as well, Jacksonville have a coach that has literally the perfect experience of having his starter go down when they're going into the playoffs and being able to turn around. So <laughs> Yeah, but CJ Bethard is not Big Dick Nick. Come on, I'm going to be serious here. But today, would you take Nick over him? Uh, the current, <laughs> current <laughs> Nick Foles, I don't know if I would Big pick Dick him at Nick all, was but, a giver. Yeah. You know, Bethard is a, a taker, you know. Yeah, uh, next up... Next up, Detroit to Chicago. We've gone for Detroit across the board. Um, yeah, like, look, you'd hope that Goff isn't going to have another, like, three interceptions to open the game kind of game. Uh, and they've got a very good run uh, tandem there. And this is a Chicago defense that can be ran all over. However, like we said, this is a Chicago team that has been playing pretty well coming out of the bye. Uh, they have, or sorry, coming off the injury, we have Fields, who's been playing like lights out for them because obviously he's playing for his career he's trying to tell them you know you're going to have probably the first and the third overall pick please don't take a quarterback um so there is always a a chance in that and detroit's defense has been atrocious of late lads yeah obviously i mean this is two or three three weeks i think since the game where the bears almost beat the the lions in the corresponding uh, fixture in Detroit. So there's obviously these two teams, despite their records, are not as far apart as you may think. The Lions have fantastic offense, but they're deep they're, when it works and Goff isn't doing stupid things, but their defense has looked really off off sorts for the last like four or five weeks. And someone like, again, with a divisional game and teams knowing each other very well and Fields having that explosiveness, you can certainly see this maybe becoming a shootout type situation or a high scoring game or, or the, the Lions maybe getting into a hole and having to dig themselves out as they did last time. The hope is that the Lions have figured out what, what went wrong in the Bears game three weeks ago and are, have fixed them. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this will be closer than people think, but I, I trust that the Lions offense will do enough to win it. But uh, I think all the way down the stretch, the Lions games are going to be a bit of a, a heart attack to watch because I, I think this team is especially the defensive side, has got some serious problems uh, cropping up. Yeah, and with the mix-up at the top of the NFC now, that they are in with a shot with the number one seed, so they need to keep stacking these wins, and obviously we're going to keep picking them because we like them. But yeah, like they got the win last week against the Saints, but it was hardly the most convincing victory either. So they need to recover our fate to a certain extent. And Chicago, yes, they, they kind of put it up to them a couple of weeks ago, and they'll obviously be looking to kind of you know, shut down this Justin Fields offense. It's 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 obviously got some explosive elements. Justin Fields can run the ball. DJ Moore has been impressive, but there isn't that many elements outside that. So they need to start showing that they can do something on defense, get pressure on Fields and make an impact. And on the offense, just, you know, Goff, no mistakes last week. Keep that up. Don't give them short fields. Don't make the game easy for Chicago. And I think given the quality of their run game and the quality uh, of their past catchers, especially Amon Ross and Brand, they should get it done. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be fully you know, back on the bandwagon after last week, but at least win here would stabilize things. Houston at Jets up next. We've gone for Houston across the board. Maybe some of that is because we don't know who's starting a quarterback for the Jets, Sean. Uh, there are rumors swirling that uh, they've decided they want to go back to Zach Wilson, but Zach Wilson doesn't necessarily want to go back to them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very strange situation where they were. Wilson, the story's out that Wilson has refused to go back in a starter after they after they realized that the Boyle Simeon experiment is a failure. There's also Robert Salah denying the story in a press conference and saying he's not ready for Wilson to come back. I mean, whatever has gone wrong in terms of the QB situation in the Jets, and there's you know rumors that Aaron Rodgers is is overly influencing things and Salah doesn't have the power that he, he has. They've made a complete mess of it at a point part at this point where the one guy, the guy who is probably their best quarterback, currently uninjured quarterback that is Zach Wilson, is, is I think it's entirely in his right if he doesn't want to play for them. Uh, I don't think being the scapegoat for this team is not is not in his interest anymore. And albeit the your reputational damage of being you know the difficult player who doesn't who refuses to play when called upon will be hard for him to get over in terms of his future career. But something is really rotten. I think I think we're beginning to get a sense that there's something really rotten in the Jets like structure, um, and it's corrupting the team. And as good as this defense is. It just seems to have completely destroyed what this offense can do. In this game, I think it's going to be a really interesting game to watch this Houston offense led by Stroud against this really elite New York defense. And I think that's going to be a fascinating battle to watch. But on the other side, I just don't think the, the Jets are going to score enough points to keep pace with what DJ Stroud can do. So I, I think the Texans are going, to, are going to crush this game across, you know, comfortably. I think they'll get, they'll win the game. It'll be closer to start, but I think they'll pull away in the third or fourth quarter. But for me, the really interesting story is who starts a quarterback and what it means for their narrative. Because if we, if it's, if it's Wilson, okay, he's, you know, they've managed to patch things up and it's a tape over the, the bad bits. But if it's, if it's, if it's fucking Tim Boyle or Trevor <laughs> Simeon again, I mean, something, it's something is really rotten with the Jets and I think it's, it's coming out. And I think the sooner they move on, I think Salah probably needs to go at this stage. Maybe I think, cause he seems to have lost the dressing room. The GM probably needs to go. The whole ownership structure probably needs to be fixed. I think Rodgers is, as I predicted, the terrible influence we all were, was worried he was going to be. Um, and this Jets season, which looked so promising at certain points, I think it's just going to peter out to nothingness. It's Something's really bad and it needs to be fixed. Uh, and I do not wouldn't want to be a Jets fan right now. Yeah, uh, we're into the late slate, so let's start picking up the pace here. Seattle at San Francisco. We've gone from San Francisco across the board. Uh, Gino, look, he did a good job against Dallas, kept them in it, and they maybe should have won that game. But I don't think that this San Francisco team on its current form is going to let them have that much space. I think the defense is going to be more difficult. They're going to get Gino off his mark. They're going to pressure the wide receivers a little bit more. And I think... Like you, it's hard to say that they'll do better because the guys did put up 41 points on them. But I just think this San Francisco team is going to be a bit more plod down the field, eat the clock, don't let Seattle get comfortable at all. Uh, I, I think it's a big ask to think Seattle could be competitive in this game. Yeah, no, obviously we, we have ex- direct experience from a couple of weeks ago that the San Francisco were just a level above Seattle. Gino was a little bit more banged up a couple of weeks ago, so maybe you hope he's a bit healthier. Maybe that makes a slight difference. He has a long week to, to recover here. So some slight factors that would maybe give them a better chance, but no, like, look, the San Francisco defense is playing absolutely elite football right now. They're taking away the big plays. They're absolutely destroying receivers if you give them anything over the middle of the field, especially uh, the linebackers. And, yeah, it's just tough to see where they're going to get that reliable production, particularly with two running backs that aren't particularly healthy. On the other side, you know, Seattle's defense wasn't completely destroyed by San Francisco, but they didn't have to do that much either. 
um, because the defense was so dominant. So I think Purdy will continue to be solid here. He'll continue to get out to Debo, uh, to Ayuk, to, to George Kittle. They'll probably continue to get their yards after the catch. And yeah, Seattle's defense is young. It's shown sparks. But uh, I think that Dallas defense is probably not the worst of what you'll see, but it's not unrepresentative either. So um, yeah, I think San Francisco easily have to be favorites here but seattle they're in a lot of trouble right down the playoff one so they will be playing for their lives here see if that makes a difference yeah it's you, you just the talent differential is too large and i feel that the seattle season has peaked and is on its downward stretch whereas the niners are just going to get better and better every week i think now fitz this is your chance if you can get them to lock them up <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to, to lock the Niners hey, up. Hey, there we go. Seattle, Seattle are in with a fighter's chance now. Next up, Denver at the Chargers. Myself and Sean have gone for the Chargers. Ronan's gone for Denver. Um, look, the Chargers defense needs to bottle up. Russ, we've seen that he can make mistakes, so hopefully they can be a little bit more opportunistic than they have been, but they have been massively underperforming to the money that's being spent on that side of the ball and the fact that their coach is meant to be facing that direction mostly. So... We'll see if they can do that. The hope here for me and the reason I'm picking the Chargers is I think their offense is more explosive. We should see Herbert being able to get there. But inevitably, the Chargers are going to charge. So quite possibly Denver are going to win this. But I like the idea of the Chargers going, taking, taking them into their building, beating them, kind of knocking off some of the wildcard chances and just allowing it to get back into a scrum. Uh, this is yeah, partially I'm, a pick sure... in favor of the Chargers offense and partially a pick of I really, really just could not be arsed watching Denver in the playoffs. I'm sure the Chargers offense will be humming when they're having to be doing the silent count because the Denver fans have taken over the stadium because that's hardly a home advantage they have there. Like Denver are playing better football than the Chargers over the last, what, month or so. Uh, the Chargers offense, albeit against New England and, and the Ravens, two of the trickier offenses diagnosed, has been pretty awful to be frank and they're getting lots of mistakes from their key playmakers not just like quinton johnson being bad though he is uh but you know keenan allen making mistakes austin eckler looking just nowhere near what we expect from austin eckler even herbert's been pretty mid um and i think they're a team that yes they've got some they got a win over new england but they're a team that's playing for nothing right now whereas denver you know they've been opportunistic they've their defense in particular has been playing way above the talent level and on the offense yes the three interceptions were bad towards the end of that game but overall has more often than not recently been playing solid football so i think denver on the form book should be favored here um so outside of chargers will just uncharger and do charger things and start winning down the stretch when nothing matters which definitely could happen um i'm fairly comfortable picking denver in this game to be honest yeah, I, I can I can see the argument for Denver. Certainly, in terms of form, they're in a better place. But I think the Chargers are a more talented team, and I, I just have the feeling maybe that the Chargers, now that the season is done, they might actually start playing some interesting uh, football, going places. But uh, consider 6-0 to be interesting. It could be a grind. It could be a grind. And if it, the more of the game is a grind, the better the Broncos have a chance of winning because they they don't their offense doesn't score an awful lot of points. But in Herbert, you have a guy who can win this game single-handedly if he's in the mood. So you got you got to back you got to back excitement uh, over the grind every day. I think. Yeah, Buffalo, Kansas City up next. This is Sean's pick of the week, and we've gone for the Chiefs across the board, even though I was hemming and hawing about Buffalo. I, I too, I was like, mm, baby, Buffalo will take this. Um, their season definitely on the line. they got to perform. They they have occasionally in the past been able to beat the Chiefs in the regular season. Uh, Josh Allen, they seem now to be in a situation where Josh Allen 
they kind of like taken the shackles off Josh Allen, be like, you just do your running thing and do your Josh Allen stuff because we need to win every game and so we can't hold you back anymore, which means that the Bills' offense is certainly starting to look quite dynamic uh, and quite an interesting place to be uh, where versus the, the KC offense, which still does not look anywhere near where it needs to be. And we're not seeing that evolution that we saw in previous years where the Chiefs just got better as the season went on and they started to figure things out. I just... Their receiving core is just not good enough is the problem, right? And they're, as a result, relying on too few options offensively and are not getting the dynamicism that they're used to. So certainly offensively, the Bills maybe have a tiny bit of an edge here, but the problem, I guess, is on the defensive side. The KC defense has been solid all year, looks, looks, uh, you know, has all has looks like one of the better versions of it. But the Bills are just the the injuries have decimated what they can do defensively, and you take Von Miller as well out of that equation, and there's just not not an awful lot of talent left on the Bills side, and doesn't really matter how much coaching they have. So I think. When you want to look talk about weaknesses here, I think the Bills' defense becomes the weakness that maybe KC can find some interesting things to do and Mahomes can, can roll a little bit against it. Um, but if Josh Allen gets into his Josh Allen mode, it could be a very interesting could be a very interesting situation. He could single-handedly win this game, and certainly I don't count against it. But I think in terms of who we trust more, I think we trust more that KC can get the win in these kind of situations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they can get going. I imagine we'll see a run-heavy approach from... Kansas City and then probably try and build into a bit of play action stuff because um, yeah basically they want space and this is a defensive backfield that might lend itself a little bit more to them getting a bit of that space that they need uh, when they're not as certain of the wide receivers but we'll see one of the things to note is that Casey even having a little bit more success by not rotating players as much and we're seeing you know increased snap counts for Rushy Rice and people like that and that still seem to be working for them so that's one thing in particular I'll be keeping an eye out is what the splits on snap counts are for different players. Yeah, I think Buffalo will come out all hands fighting and they've been doing that in recent weeks. Obviously, it hasn't always led to the wins, but they've been much more competitive. But Kansas City, you know, when the chips are down in Arrowhead, this is an incredibly tough environment to go to. Um, and Allen will have to basically go all out. And I think the Chiefs, even in their currently somewhat up and down state, are a more complete team. Their defense has been a factor more often this season. Um, and while Buffalo are, you know, they've got uh, elements that can take advantage of the middle of the field, it's not where they get most of their hay traditionally. And so that linebacker weakness probably won't be as big a factor as it was last week for Kansas City. And uh, on the other side, like the, the Buffalo defense, yeah, have been pretty poor to be honest like I think they showed some signs of life there toward before they entered that bye but I still believe that Patrick Mahomes when the chips are down will get it done whether that be you know over the course of the game or in 13 seconds yeah Minnesota versus Vegas up next I've gone for Vegas you guys have gone for Minnesota we don't know who's starting a quarterback Dobbs or Hall for Minnesota so we'll see whether or not they're able to kind of get it going because they should have Justin Jefferson back in this game, I believe, which means they'll have a nice tandem on the outside. The question from the Vegas side is just going to be, what version are we going to get? Obviously, they've got O'Connell in. They've got, you know, a, a, kind of a caretaking staff that I'm not sure are even going to be considered for taking over afterwards, but the team was motivated by it. They played pretty well in a couple of games. And I like this is a this is a Minnesota team that makes mistakes and I think maybe Vegas are gonna be able to do it. With the question mark at quarterback and what Max Crosby can do and them being at home, I'm just gonna give a slight edge to Vegas in it. But Minnesota if they come out firing and Justin Jefferson is healthy, they could completely run away with that game. Uh Sunday night football is Ronan's pick of the week. Philly heading down to Dallas. We've gone for Dallas across the board, Ronan. 
Yes, in the words of the great philosopher Dak Prescott himself, yeah, here we go. This is real football here, Sunday night football, NFC East, but actually good. Thank God, because um, they're going to be here no matter how bad these teams were, even if it was like 15 backups and nothing to play for. But thankfully, we have a game which is vital. Philly's loss to San Francisco now opens up not just the number one overall seed, but now the NFC East with Dallas just one game behind. And Dallas are coming in with a heater. Like, they obviously were beaten by Philly earlier on, and they've had a couple of embarrassing losses, but they seem to have found their identity, found who they need to be. They suit this new type of NFL uh, football where all three phases matter and where, you know, they're finding explosive plays in a, in a year where explosive plays are hard to come from. So Philly's luck maybe has run out, but maybe, as Sean alluded to uh, during the reviews, maybe their energy has also run out, that they've been playing tough game after tough game after tough game, and now they're coming off, you know, a brutal game against San Francisco in brutal conditions, and now they're coming into the Dallas Dome, um, to Jerry World, and they got to get it done one more time in another vital uh, setup here, and, you know, Dallas's defense, it gets consistent pressure, Michael Parsons is an absolute freak of nature, um, so Lane Johnson and, and, and others will have a lot of pressure on their hands and they're opportunistic as well they're making those big plays even with Trevon Diggs out Deron Bland has stepped up he's getting all those pick sixes but maybe you know Philly saw something in that Seattle tape some weaknesses that haven't been exploited before and obviously Jalen Hurts is an incredibly effective quarterback he mightn't have the same kind of uh, pre-snap read type stuff that Gino has going on but he is a smart quarterback he does a lot of um, work in the um in the study room to understand so maybe you'll have found a weakness here and kind of get to them but you still imagine that Dallas are going to make a big play or two even when they were terrible last week they got that interception um to kind of turn the tide uh, when Seattle looked like they might be able to race away and so yeah it's a really tough game for Philly's offense I think for Philly obviously we know the things that work the tush push works um the big plays to AJ Brown and or uh, Devontae Smith work I think they'd love to get that run game going again it's obviously was a big factor early on it's kind of disappeared but this isn't really a great area to put it in Dallas has been pretty solid against the run so a lot of pressure on Jalen Hurts who's obviously dealing with a knee issue isn't that 100% but he's got to get it done because the Dallas are going to put up points uh, this Philly defense you know through injuries and attrition has is nowhere near or was earlier on I think they can still get pressure on Dak but you just saw Dak against Seattle be pressured and putting it into tight windows on a consistent basis cd lamb is playing at an elite level and um, those linebackers obviously that hope she killed leonard will, will stabilize that but those linebackers might be vulnerable uh, you might see a lot of uh, fake ferguson at the tight end position be used and you imagine they'll be able to run the ball a bit more pollard hasn't been great this season but he's definitely shot up a couple of levels you feel like over the last couple of weeks and they'd love to have that complimentary one especially if they can build a lead here so all the form book says that dallas should be coming in hot they should be feeling themselves they feel like a team on the rise really feel like a team that's been just grinding their way through and maybe is feeling the effects of all that grind at this point but you always know in the nfc east and in this matchup that dallas are always capable of shitting their pants and making this an embarrassment for themselves just what everyone believes in themselves but i think on the form book based on where these teams are in terms of health based on what we've seen over the last few weeks i think we're all going to edge for dallas here but um yeah philly they always have a shot but yeah just a really tough season for them they'll, they'll definitely be trying to grind their way like just trying they're looking towards the end of their season schedule which is a lot easier uh, and hoping they can just get one more clutch win here when it really matters yeah no it should make for a very exciting game now like i do think they match up well i think we've seen even when there's bigger talent differentials between them that these games can be close because they know each other very well and they know how to play each other very well. Um, so I, I expect that even though 
on paper I would probably put Dallas a touchdown ahead in this one uh, I could end up being closer than that or Philly could even come out with a nice game plan and just absolutely make ribbons of them so we'll see but yeah like you got to go Dallas on the current form yeah it's it's a it's a form question it's a Dallas being unbeaten at home question it's a Philly aren't quite what they were last season that kind of leads you toward the Cowboys that said when they did play a few weeks ago the, the Eagles did kind of have a, just a little bit more than the Cowboys on bo- on both sides it felt like so maybe I, as I said I think this is the this is the test for the Cowboys can the Cowboys they can beat up you know, they can beat up the Seahawks or whatever, but to really, if we want to talk about them as the big boys, they got to win this game. Uh, and if they do, I think they, you know, they're going to be favorites for the number one seed, basically. So, yeah, huge game. And I think you got to back Dallas on form, but I would not be surprised at all if the Eagles have their number because they did not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, this is a week that has one of my least favorite scheduling uh happenings which is two monday night football games run concurrently because it's just an annoying amount of games where you should have just put an extra one in the late window instead first up uh ronan green bay at the giants we've gone for green bay across the board yeah green bay are playing hot they're playing a team that's either going to start tommy devito or, or possibly Terod taylor might come back obviously off an injury so there's no reason why this good green bay team shouldn't be able to get the win and, and kind of stay uh well in constant their playoff position uh, devito showed some signs of life i suppose before the bye um but he's still incredibly limited i said his greatest superpower is getting sacked but never fumbling which i don't think is the, the best <laughs> superpower for a quarterback or indeed any nfl he's just player. He's but been it, watching it, too many rocky films it's not about how hard you can hit yeah. it's about how hard you can get hit and get keep going it's a skill set okay it's something and that's probably more than we expected when tommy devito became a thing but hey tommy devito i love the memes i love the the, the jersey italian american bullshit so if you can at least make this interesting uh, that should at least be fun for us on uh, twitter yeah and uh, monday night football uh denver or sorry tennessee at miami we've gone for miami across the board i've made my feelings about this tennessee team known several times already this podcast they're boring i don't think levis is going to do a huge amount this is a miami defense that has been you know doing a little bit more of late taking the ball away a little bit more this is a miami offense that when it's allowed to do what it wants to do is very very hard to stop we see how explosive hill can be two is getting the ball out of his hands really quickly they've got a run game it's not maybe hitting on all cylinders like it was earlier in the season but it's still more than enough to take out this tennessee team they're at home they're going to enjoy themselves they're going to bask in the half of a prime time game spotlight that they get with this weird double monday night football thing and uh, miami by a boatload is my guess um so that'll wrap us up any plans for the weekend lads uh gonna be going over to cork for a dentist appointment and i might see if i can meet people afterwards very nice. while since i've been in the in the well, not the big smoke whatever the cork equivalent of that is the real uh, capital <laughs> the real capital yeah uh so yeah no that should be that should be uh my weekend no, oh, very nice. Uh, I think I've got my work Christmas party on Friday, uh, so we'll see. Kind of uh, probably be a little bit hungover on the Saturday, and then watching a bit of football on the Sunday. I think we're going to do mini Christmas here in the house as well. So have a nice bit of nice bit of grub and a fairly chilled out one. What about yourself, Fitz? Uh, just trying to clear a bunch of stuff off work, and yeah, if Sean's around, I'm sure I'll meet up with him. So uh, other than that, pretty quiet. Very good, very good. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week. So uh, I suppose it's bye for myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.